Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's films are Nosferatu the Vampire and Schizoid. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Uh, anyone buy some stock recently? No. <laughs> no people are ridiculous. That affair. <laughs> oh. here's, here's the problem. I, I kind of want to root for those people because I'm like, yeah, fuck those other guys. But at the same time, the same people doing that are like the same people that are into like QAnon conspiracies and stuff. I totally it's bought, also I totally bought two, two shares of Nokia last night just uh, to hedge my bets. Hey, I could spend $12 if it turns into $500. I'm not against that. I'm not against what you're doing. But there is something about something about protesting the fact that the stock market is a rigged casino game by mm-hmm. rigging the casino game in the other direction. It's like you're not really are you are you better? That's my question. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's well, fun well, to see hedge managers get you know take a little shot in the balls. But on the other hand, it's like you're it's probably illegal to intentionally inflate stock prices that way. So. Right. And and I think I would be on your your side of that if like they turned around tomorrow and they were like, OK, we need to everybody needs to take a look at this because this is bullshit. But instead, the way like Robin Hood and stuff reacted by locking oh, people yeah, yeah. out of doing those transactions. Yeah. That's that's like, OK, well, you're saying. Now you're saying that market manipulations only OK. When rich people do it. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm. What I'm basically saying is, there's no good guy in this fight. Yeah, they're all bad. That, that it's you know, it's like somebody going out for vigilante justice, and you're like, I understand why you wanted to do that to that guy, and I don't feel bad about it happening to that guy. But that doesn't mean what you did is okay. And then you're like, what you're saying is correct too. To have these traders there i don't know what you call them like brokerage companies or whatever is to have them come in and try to put a stop to this the way they're doing it is like you're right they're, they're not coming in and fixing things they're coming in and taking a side and that's not correct either yeah i agree i'm bummed because uh people you know didn't allow people to buy a shit ton of nokia stock and thus make me like a ton of money so i could sell right away and then wash my hands of it yeah so, it's it's all real funny because uh, I, I don't know. Imagine there were a sport and that sport was baby stabbing, right? And and for years and you years have and years, my attention. Well, and for years and years and years, Imagining. it is 
it is this this terrible, horrible murder sport, but it's also evil because it's completely discriminatory, right? Black people aren't allowed to play baby stab and, and poor people aren't allowed to play baby stab. Trans people aren't allowed poor to play baby people. stab. Always left out of the baby stabbing. And and then somebody comes in and finds a way to 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 fucker the rules and get all these people in. And and you want to be like, oh, that's good. There's diversity in there. But really, it's just more people playing baby stab, which is not good. <laughs> like, you say not good. Stop playing I, say, baby stab. I say a national sport in the making. I can't wait until they make a movie about this sport and we have to review it on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're breaking down baby stab by baby stab, analyzing the motivations of the stabbers. <laughs> Yeah, I actually, uh, you ever listen to Sword and Scale, the true crime podcast? And nope. Nope. So they did an episode on the dark web. And, uh, uh, analyzed some stuff, uh, that people had claimed that they had seen in, like, what they call, like, a red room. Which is essentially, like, people pay money to see some of the most vile shit ever. Yeah. And it was basically somebody playing the sport of baby stab. Okay. And I had to stop the episode because I was getting nauseous just listening to it. And I was just like, this is probably the worst thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I have to do, I have to do a little bit of dark web stuff for my job. Uh, You know, just because, you know, I have to research stuff and that's where people go to do their weird shit. Uh, And what I've discovered is that what, what we all think of the dark web as is this, you know, this shady uh, <laughs> Moss Eisley cantina of, sure. of assassins and, and pedophiles. Right. Um, which which that does. Don't don't get me wrong. That does exist. But it turns out what most of the dark web is, is it's like imagine the worst part of Reddit. Hmm. But the whole internet was that. <laughs> just, <laughs> just that everything was the worst part of Reddit. It was it was all 4chan discussions about why Hitler was right. Like that's that's <laughs> that's the oh, yeah. entire dark web. That's all it is. No, I know a lot of it's blown out of proportion, but there are some weird shit, you know, one percent of a one percent of a one percent like place the horrible shit happens oh well and and it really is like whenever people joke about the bizarres and stuff like it's that's that's 100% legit mm-hmm. and people aren't even fucking clever about it like you can go on there and people will be like I'm selling fake documents you know <laughs> this federal <laughs> document and this federal document and here's my gmail address <laughs> my, you know what I mean here's my yeah. fucking gmail and it's like well guess what Everyone can track you now, like <laughs> right. You just you just gave away a Gmail address. You're an idiot. Yeah. People think they have a Tor browser. They're like a fucking hacker or something. But... Right. If I have to watch one more fucking webinar with the word tradecraft in it, I might I might lose my fucking mind. Sets are always talking about what we're looking for is tradecraft mistakes. Everyone makes tradecraft mistakes. Don't even know what that is. It just it just means that uh, like so all the shit. So you run a Tor browser, right? A Tor browser hides your IP address. That's a little bit of tradecraft. But if you're just running a Tor browser, 
I can still get your IP address because although it masks it, it doesn't mask it very well. And, and there's ways to get to it. Well, then there's another layer where you can use like a, a secondary router um, running an app browser through it that's that's got your IP address. Well, that's better. But if you're not real careful about the things you say, and you know what I mean, if you give a phone number or an email address or anything, all of that's traceable. It's it's just real complicated. So Tradecraft is basically me trying to uh, find all the mistakes you made. Mm -hmm. And everybody makes a ton of them. I've yet I've yet to come across somebody that I was like, man, this person's really clever. So you hear that, people? Noah's doing work on the dark web, so don't try to the dark web sell your kids or whatever. Luckily, luckily, most of what I'm doing does not involve that. Yeah, I couldn't imagine like like we were watching uh, uh, this documentary, which I guess we'll talk a little bit about later. I'm not done with it, though, uh, about a girl disappearing. And then I accused Doug of stealing her. Yeah, I, I remember being accused of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they were talking about some of these. Uh, uh, organizations that try to protect, you know, the organization for abused children or whatever, and their job is just looking at porn sites to see if they can match up missing children with child porn. And there's literally a sign on the door that says, images on monitors in this room may be disturbing. So if you're just walking through, they're just letting you know that, you know, it could be the worst thing you've ever seen in your entire life. I just, I couldn't, I'm just fucking, like, I couldn't fucking imagine. That's how no. could you do? How could you do that for an hour and not fucking go open your veins? Right. It's, somebody's got to do it, man. Unfortunately, yeah. that's uh, one of my friends had a like, I want to say a brother-in-law or something like that that did that kind of work for a police department, and he mm. said it was just like. Like every time you talk to the guy, you, like if you made the mistake of saying how it was work, it was just like the most depressing conversation yeah. in the world. Because like I was doing that all day, and he's like, "Yeah, I, I imagine you have to be really good at sort of separating work and personal life at that point." Yeah, yeah. man. Well, especially like if you had kids, like it's, you know what I mean, like. I would hope yeah. that there's something in there where, like, they would do it as at a distance. Like with the way technology works now, is at least you're not searching for kids in your own area, so there's like no chance of you stumbling across a kid you know, kind of thing or something. But yeah, just for their sake, you know, yeah. this is a happy, happy topic to yeah. <laughs> start off. Over. Can we can we talk about something upbeat and positive like a Herzog movie? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, why don't you go ahead, Noah? Tell us about Nosferatu the Vampire. Nosferatu the Vampire is a uh, a pretty faithful readaptation of the 1922 Nosferatu, <laughs> but because the uh, the copyright of Bram Stoker's Dracula ran out between the making of that one and this one, the names are all switched to match the book because. No, they're not switched to match the book. They're not switched to match the book. Well, they're switched to use names from the book in the wrong yeah. order and drive me insane. Yeah, there is that component. 
I fucking hate when movies did a hammer. There's one of the hammer movies did it too. I'm like, no, just you have the names right. Just what were they? Flip flop, Mina and Lucy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why, but I can't <laughs> deal with it. Yeah, I don't know. Are they just like, well, Lucy's a better name. Let's just go with know. Lucy. I started this time when I was watching this, I started really overthinking it. Like maybe they wanted the character to behave more like Lucy. And I'm like, no, that's not, it's nothing like that. It's just somebody hadn't read the book in a long time and got the names wrong. And once it was written down in the script, they're like, nothing we can do about it. Herzog's just like, no, nothing I can do. I was going to say, do we really need a more in-depth plot description? I mean, if you've seen a Dracula movie, it's, you should know the basic plot. Well, being a very good remake of Nosferatu, it is a very strong adaptation of the Dracula novel yeah. as well. Has its twist uh, ending. Yeah, has some different twists, which I don't know has some positives I, and negatives, I guess. But I was kind of surprised I, how how good of an adaptation of Dracula was because I've always been pissed there hasn't been like a good adaptation of the book. Um, and this may be my favorite so far. Oh, really? Yeah. I do, I do really, really enjoy, and I guess this is kind of a skip to the end kind of thing. I really <laughs> enjoy in the Nosferatu version of the Dracula story that it's the woman who kind of honeypots Dracula into fucking himself. Yeah. Rather than Van Helsing, the vampire hunter, and his cadre of macho males going, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a very... Yeah. I don't know. I appreciate this story more. Yeah, I think it's a good, it's a good twist on the story. I agree. Yeah, I don't have a problem with the, uh, with the more kind of violent hunting down the vampire type ending that exists in a lot of the adaptations. But mm. I, if you're gonna do it in a quiet kind of subtle way, I think it works with having the woman be the one that sort of seduces him into staying which is sort of playing the the twist of the seductive vampire on its head and just saying like okay now she can do that back to him and uh kind of basically just trick him into staying up too late so he dies (laughs) which is a mild oversimplification but it's what happens (laughs) Right. I I will I will say this. So out of all of the Klaus Kinski movies I've seen in my life, this by far is his best performance in a film. It, it's a really solid performance, and um, like that's kind of key to any Dracula adaptation is the portrayal of the head vampire, whether it's Dracula or Nosferatu or whatever. It, that's what makes or breaks a movie like this, and. In this case, I think the the performance is solid. I think the appearance is solid. I have some issues with it, but do you know how do you know Herzog got that performance? I've I've heard stories where uh, he would basically because you know Klaskinski tends to go a little uh, over the top. Uh, he would bait him into getting pissed off, so he would throw a temper tantrum, and then whenever he, <laughs> then he'd make him shoot right afterwards, so it was tired. <laughs> yep. He would make him. He would make him throw. He'd purposely start a fight with him, so he would throw a temper tantrum, and then they would all just sit around while he threw his temper tantrum. And as soon as he was done, it's like, all right, let's roll. And he would give this like low key, like nuanced performance rather than the like sort of bombastic one he was wanting to do. That's a hilarious story. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's like forced method acting. Yeah, it's <laughs> fucking great. Because <laughs> I'll tell you, my my complaint about the performance is in some of the physicality when you see the scenes of him like running around and stuff, and it's because he's not acting, you know, tired and kind of disgruntled. Mm-hmm. He's sort of moving at like a a regular human being who's in pretty good shape, and I find that a little distracting and a little bit contradictory to the appearance and to their main performance but that's probably because it's harder to get Klinsky to run across the screen after you tire him out from a temper tantrum <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to say I think we can also say right out the gate that uh, it's a Herzog movie so it's beautiful oh yeah it's gorgeous the visuals are amazing yeah the uh, the shots of like I don't know I don't know the name where it's set like it's not set in London where the traditional vampire stories are set. Um, is it Holland or? I want to say uh, that sounds about right. That that's me guessing based well, on my I, view I of think, it. And... I think it's supposed to be set in in like uh, Bavaria, like Germany. Okay, I kind of thought either Holland or Austria based on the way things looked, but I. Also, I'm no way, shape, or form qualified and know nothing about European geography, so I don't... I, I don't know. I recognize some of it looks like it's the Netherlands, and some of it's definitely that Bavarian area. I know I know. Herzog really wanted to shoot in Transylvania because it's Herzog, and he wants to do... You know what I mean? He's one of those guys. <laughs> He's like, no, the it's set in Transylvania. We're fucking shooting the goddamn movie in Transylvania. But apparently this was while the uh, communists were in power and uh, they were not fucking having somebody uh, portraying Vlad the Impaler as a bad guy. Oh, that he would have to become the hero in order to shoot yes. there? Yes. <laughs> All right. 100%. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. That's a good reason to change your shooting location. But the use of whatever town they're in with the canals and shit really works. It looks great. And that cool town square they have where, like, at one point, there's just, like, animals running around it, and we see the parades of bodies being carried out with the plague and everything. like And what that... appear to be spray-painted rats. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah. But <laughs> they didn't have the technology to paint rats properly back then. But, um... No, there's it, lots of stories looks, about it. But continue. It look, like, it looks great. That town square, like, there's times where there's just, like fires going because their people are destroying their stuff that they feel is inf- infected and there's that one scene where the people are like having dinner out there and it's just it's all beautiful i was I, I was gonna say i was gonna bring up that scene because while don't get me wrong once again it, it herzog's got an eye for things and it's a very evocative visual but for the fact that this movie for the most part despite being kind of a you know, it's it's a Nosferatu vampire movie, so we've got the weird pointy front teeth and shit. But it's all fairly grounded. And then all of a sudden you have this one completely surreal Alice in Wonderland Mad Hatter tea party surrounded by an army of rats. Yes. It, that scene does not fit with the rest of the movie. Um, uh, I take your point. 
I don't know if that to that. You're right. For some reason, in the middle of this, they decided, like, let's have one scene shot from the perspective of somebody who's caught the plague and is dying of fever. And the rest of the movie is not shot from that perspective, and that's a little jarring. <laughs> I don't understand why they did that, but it I, looked fucking cool. I really thought... So this this version, I think, plays that uh, plague angle up better than any other Dracula adaptation I've ever well, seen. Because it's so good. See, I don't know if I 100% agree with that. I found that the way it was shot and all that, I kind of like at first I thought, OK, they're using the plague as this like kind of metaphor of him coming in. And then for a while, I thought, oh, no, the rats he brought with him actually physically brought the plague because we keep going back to those rats. And then at one point, I'm like, OK, well, I think they're getting back to the typical like he's just killing everyone. and They're blaming the plague. But then they're carrying those bodies and it's like he's killed a thousand people today. Like, well, that doesn't I, seem like that, that doesn't, doesn't seem like that character would kill a thousand people. I th- I think the implication is supposed to be that it's all of those things. Sure. But I don't think it's very clear within the movie. And I think you can interpret it different ways. And that's a bit of an issue because depending on which one you're going with, all of a sudden the movie might not make any sense to you. Because they also kind of imply that that's going to be cleared up if they kill him. But if it's the rats, it won't be cleared up if it kills him. And if it's... You know, more metaphorical. It won't like only if he only the people he's physically killing will stop. If it's also a plague, right? Mm. Would you guys think of Renfield? I fucking love this version of Renfield. He <laughs> was good. Yeah, he is fun. That he's dude's fun. crazy laugh is the most solid crazy laugh I think <laughs> I've ever seen. Which is uh, why they hired him. I think Herzog saw him in some television movie in France, and he did that laugh in it. So he pretty much was like, no, I'm going to hire you. Make sure you do that laugh as often as possible. He's almost a midget, too, which is a huge selling point for me. Uh, I know this was a sticking point and we couldn't continue on with the uh, review without it, but it looks like they uh, they filmed in Delft, Netherlands. Okay. And then also some in Garmisch, Bavaria, Germany. Yeah, I think the Bavaria stuff might be the Transylvania stuff. Yeah. If I understand correctly. So here we go. Good times. Clear to that for everybody. I know we were we were worried we wouldn't get to that point. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it, it goes to my point of like the, the the visuals work really well wherever they did film, which is apparently the Netherlands, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Like, because uh, sometimes when they randomly shift locations, it's frustrating, right? And you're like, why the hell isn't this just in London or whatever? And then. If it looks good enough, you just don't care. And that was key to this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, one of the big things I always run up against whenever I see these movies, like, where the fuck did they find Dracula's castle? Uh, I don't know. What's that? What's that area in Bavaria? It's obviously not a, a constructed set. It's just not. Not for the 1970s and the type of... <laughs> shit they were doing back then they didn't build all those interiors but it's just this huge meandering long hallway like mission style castle yeah 
it, it's just one of those things I'm like, that's so fucking cool. And I just don't get how a filmmaker just pulls a castle out of their ass every time they need one. <laughs> well, he has the happy advantage of filming in Europe, which is just chock full of castles. It's just that's true. effective being a, a, what is what is it Eddie Ezra used to say? A, a castle for each. Yeah. Each and every it's, person. Like there are there are castles everywhere and just go and do tours of them, and I assume you can rent any one of them to film a movie in if you want to. So, with a budget, you can actually find that stuff, and I don't think it's as hard as you think it is compared to, like, if you were trying to find a castle in North America, that's pretty difficult. It's hard to track one down. Well, didn't didn't Richard Band just buy one? And that's where they shot like Castle Freak and a bunch of other weird shit. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. He just owned a castle. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I mean like. Not, not to get into a debate about it, but like, how rich is Richard Band? Like, I'm sure he's doing fine, but he's not. You know what I mean? He's mm. not Richard Branson. He's just Richard Band, and it's Char- Castle. Charlie Band. Sorry, Charlie. Richard Branson's brother, but he does shit for him too. But okay, I lose yeah. track of which one's which. But yeah, we we all knew who we were talking about. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like my point is like, yeah, like you don't have to be that rich to own a castle in Europe. Apparently, you just be doing pretty good. I, I, I also love the fact that in this movie, so obviously the the whole uh, sex and vampirism angle is still there. Yeah. But in this one, instead of sexy, sexy vampires, instead it's more like menacing sexual predator vampire. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I for some reason I both find that more appropriate and completely inappropriate. <laughs> it's um, I think it is kind of in keeping with the original Nosferatu, right? Like it's technically it's a remake of that, not a retelling of the Dracula story, even though they're the same story. Um, and it, it feels like that. Like he he doesn't de-age or become attractive at any point in time in this story. He's just this monster that seems to be able to sort of have this hold over people sometimes. And it, I find that more interesting than when vampires are supposed like quote unquote, like good looking and actually attractive. I find that they're less intimidating that way. Yeah. I was going to say the final, the, the final uh, Dracula scene where he's kind of feeding on her and she's baiting him into it. Yeah. It is, I don't. <laughs> once, once again, I I don't know if this is uh, cheers to to Klaus Kinski for being a good actor or uh, ew for Klaus Kinski clearly being a menacing sexual predator in every part that he plays. Uh, when it's Klaus Kinski, I think you can do both. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> it's not an either or situation. <laughs> But oh yeah, I don't because it's not it, one one of the fantastic things about this is somehow they managed to make a Dracula movie that has almost zero blood yeah. and and all that kind of, but but it still comes off gross, which is really cool, mostly because of uh, Klaus Kinski's horrible horrible fucking suckerfish mouth. That fucking, <laughs> I hate it. I fucking hate him. I hate his face. You're just gonna hear suckling noises in the middle of the night. Oh, Jesus! <gasps> what the fuck is he? Is without a doubt, I, and and I, 
you shouldn't judge an actor by his looks. Look at Steve Buscemi, but he is the ugliest motherfucker. That was just a random cheap shot at Steve Buscemi for no reason. Well, Steve Buscemi's not involved a, in a, any way. Listen, Steve Buscemi also kind of ugly motherfucker, but Steve Buscemi is an ugly motherfucker in a oh god ugly motherfucker way. Klaus Kinski is every time he's on the screen. I'm like Jesus fucking. Cloud space. <laughs> <laughs> Every fucking scene. Uh, that was just a, uh, oh, and you know what? Fuck you too, Steve Buscemi. <laughs> you know who else I hate? <laughs> Jesus, uh, uh, I'm just saying it's, and it, it offends me that I am offended by it. Because, <laughs> because I believe that more roles should go to people who are not uh, traditionally beautiful people. But fuck his! I'm telling you, it's at that fucking horrible suckerfish mouth. It's disgusting. <laughs> How did Klaus Kinski looks like a caricature of Klaus Kinski? <laughs> That's not wrong. That's more true in the next movie than it is in this one. This is going to be the new uh, foot licking with Noah. Like oh. people are just going to send him oh. random pictures of Klaus Kinski. Yep. <laughs> You know, could you imagine Klaus Kinski in a Tarantino movie? Uh, <laughs> picture those suckling lips with fucking... Oh, oh, oh. Do it. Picture it. Picture it. Why? <laughs> My retinas, they detach themselves. That's what, you get. That's what you get for going after Steve Buscemi, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <sighs> I don't even know where to go from there. Good stuff. Does anybody else want to bring back uh, bring up another point about the movie? Uh, the rats. So, unfortunately, apparently the animals were not very well kept on this movie. But they are rats, which makes it kind of okay. Yeah, but I still feel bad. Um, so apparently they were shipped from you know wherever they were shipped, and they were not uh, taken care of correctly. So the rats started resorting to cannibalism on the way the way to the film set, started eating each other. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, the idea was, because they were all white, so the idea was we're going to dye them, which the person who was in charge of the rats was like, well, that's not a good idea, because they'll just lick it all off. So there's no point in doing it. And Herzog's like, nah, we're going to do it anyway. So they did it. Spray paint those rats. Sure enough, the rats mainly just licked off most of it. So that's why they're they're very light gray in this movie. Yeah, they didn't look that unrat like to me. As somebody who had a rat problem earlier in the pandemic and had to kill a whole bunch of rats, lots of them were that color. If you look in in the Mad Hatter Tea Party scene, you can see a bunch were like. The dye's clearly splotchy. Where okay. they started maybe, maybe I just wasn't paying yeah. enough attention. Yeah, you can you can definitely see some uh, Beastmaster painted cat esque qualities <laughs> of those rats if you're looking close enough at them. All right. Next uh, time but, I watch the movie, I'll pay more attention. Uh, and then somebody said like the horses were not taken care of very well. They were underweight and not fed properly. And that um, the one horse that's dead in the movie. I it I've watched it pretty closely and it just looks like there was just a dead horse on set. I could not figure out how they get like <laughs> I'm like fine. that doesn't look fake and there's it, horses don't lay still that long. Like I don't think you can train a horse to just lay there like that and play mm. dead. Maybe you can, I don't know. Yeah. 
<sighs> so that's like all I got. 70, 70s European filmmaking. I'm I'm not shocked to find out that the animals weren't perfectly well treated. It's it not me neither. But I mean, rats are rats, and most of those other animals were probably somebody's meal after the shoot was over. So mm-hmm. they, you know, it was a less sensitive time when it came to the rights of animals. But then having those random sheep wander around that town square in the scenes, I fucking love those moments. And there's the pigs at one point. I just like that really adds something to the movie for me. The idea that this town is so devastated that people's farm animals are just wandering the streets. I don't know. It really worked visually. Do you know what we didn't get that we should have? What? Random armadillo. Did they have armadillos in? Probably not. But, I don't know. But I mean. They were in the Universal movie. They just you just need a random armadillo if you're just showing weird animals. I mean, it is one of the weirdest animals. Oh yeah, we didn't talk about that. So uh, there's there's a few cuts in the movie that is like a slow motion bat in flight. Right. Uh, well, I don't know if you know this, but getting a shot like that is fucking impossible. Oh yeah. So that is straight up stock footage from a nature documentary. <laughs> I'm not surprised because it feels very inserted. Like it's not. Yeah. I would call it a flaw in the film that those do not feel like the rest of the movie. Yeah. Ap- apparently Herzog actually tried to film that several times and couldn't get it to work. And it's like, Why well, no shit. Because so it's a fucking bat. But don't, can't you just like find a bat and put a camera on it and wait a while? It'll eventually fly. I mean, I suppose, but if you're trying to get it uh, with a backdrop of the sky on it, I guess. Yeah, to give it some. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it would be fine to film it inside of a cage, but that might be a little obvious. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that much about filming bats, so I'm just happy yeah. you didn't use that into like another excuse to insult a beloved actor. <laughs> I love Steve Buscemi. All I was saying was you can be an unattractive person and still be a leading man without having full on Kinsky face. <laughs> so it sounds like we're all pretty positive on the movie overall. Um, oh, yeah. Like overall, it, yeah. It's just, I think it, it is a good remake of, um, of Nosferatu. And it's, it's almost unfortunate to me that they edited in the dry, the real Dracula names. I would prefer it to not have those and to not bring, not spend, not bring so much of Bram Stoker's ideas into my head and just appreciate it as a remake of Nosferatu. Uh, and apparently, there are two complete versions of this film because uh, once again, Her- Herzog tends to be a little uh, obsessive, mm-hmm. so. All the English version is all actors speaking English, and then he shot the same scenes again with them speaking German for the German language version. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, good for him. And he supposedly it was he thinks the German version is the true version of the movie. That sounds about right. Yeah, you uh, know, when the Germans start talking about how Germans are the true versions of stuff, you kind of want to back up those <laughs> conversations. Uh, <laughs> Could be. It can become problematic. <laughs> so what did you guys think of the kind of twist ending to the movie with, uh, I guess, not a happy ending and not not our not what you would expect? Our heroine I, sacrifices herself and 
I found it almost too cartoonish. Yeah. Oh. Mostly, but I don't. I don't think it's the ending's fault. I think it's that actor's. I don't know. His weird. I'm a vampire now. He he he. Like face. I don't get that. Like. He did seem overjoyed to become a vampire, and I'm like, but why are you so overjoyed? Like, it's I guess it, to to an extent, it's like he hadn't he hadn't lived the way Dracula had lived, and therefore he had he wasn't kind of over the idea of immortality yet. It was still an exciting thing to him, but the performance isn't doesn't sell a lot of that. It more just you're right, cartoonish is not a bad word for it, right? And that, like I said, I don't I don't know. I would put. I put this film very, very high up on the list of vampire movies. I I would dare say it's top three pretty easy. Wow. That's, that's a bold statement, considering the sheer number of vampire movies. It is. And sheer number of vampire movies that I really, really like. But I'm talking strictly, strictly from a a film perspective of quality of filmmaking and all that kind of stuff. I just, it's hard to put it up. I would, I would dare say it's, it's better than like the original universal Dracula. I would dare, dare say, I don't think you hated those sucker lips as much as you said you did. Listen, he haunts my (laughs) dreams, but in this movie, (laughs) He's kind of supposed to haunt your dreams. He's supposed to haunt your dreams. And if you combine the horrible sucker lips with a vampire, it makes sense, right? <laughs> he's, he's a horrible lamprey eel face monster. Technically, that's what those lips are for. I mean, they're right. for sucking. <laughs> yeah, it's up there. I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to think of a vampire movie that I would put over this one, and I'm having a hard time. Oh, come on. We just talked about uh, Innocent Blood last week. Yeah, real good. It's not going to top this. <laughs> yeah. Spanish Spanish Dracula, maybe? It's pretty good. Spanish Dracula is pretty good. I haven't seen Spanish Dracula in so long, I can't comment. I'm not a huge fan of the original Universal Dracula. Universals, it's probably the one I like the least. Oh, see, I love I love it for what it is. I love Lugosi's performance. Right. I don't love the rest of the movie. And, like, I'm agreeing with what you're saying as far as just, if you're measuring this as filmmaking, I think this is definitely, I mean, it has to be in the discussion of great ones. It's you can tell that a lot of time and effort went into the shots and all that. Um, obviously, it gets pretty much zero points for originality because the story is its a remake of a ripoff kind of thing. So it's um, <laughs> kind of hard to argue that. But it's, it's good. I just don't know if I would be as high in it as you guys seem to be. Well, I don't even know if I'm super high on it. I, like I said, I think it's a really good adaptation of Dracula. Which I've been wanting for a while, um, but I think part of it comes down to rewatchability. Like I don't feel like this is something I would be watching a lot. Well, it's not a fun movie, and yeah. rewatchability often comes with fun, right? Agreed. Agreed. Um, you know, you can rewatch Commando any day because it's funny to watch him kill people. It's not Fuck funny yeah, to watch Klaus Kinski kill people. <laughs> <laughs> or be in this movie because he could just be killing people in his own time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and is. 
Yes. <laughs> He's probably waiting under Noah's bed for him to go to sleep. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> the weird, the weird thing of of any actor that's actually legit won acting awards that might listen to this podcast and then come fucking murder me. Klaus Kinski. Isn't he oh, dead? Probably. <laughs> he might come back. <laughs> he's still coming for you even though he's dead. I don't know if Steve Buscemi will come for you if word gets to him now. Right. Like... Well, here's the thing. Steve Buscemi's got way better fucking things to do than uh, worry about our podcast and or murder me. Yeah, Klaus Kinski died in 91. Yeah, he's, like, he's not even close. It's not like he's recently passed away. I'm, I'm saying his shambling fucking corpse <laughs> with its indestructible wax rubber fucking lips. <laughs> the only part of this I support is that you're like, if he uses a zombie, he'd be a shambling zombie, a real zombie, not one of those fucking running ones like an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> uh, were you aware that he played Nosferatu again? I tried to find it. Just to see what it was like. I was just uh, going through his IMDb. Yeah, he played yeah. played a character yeah. called Nosferatu in Vampire in Venice. Yeah, huh. which is not directly connected to this, but whatever. Yeah, and apparently not very good from what I read. But I uh, I couldn't find it to watch. To watch, I was going to watch it for today. And he was he was Renfield in another vampire movie, right? Oh, was he? He'd be a good, interesting Renfield. He would be a really good Renfield. Which, I, which movie I is think that? Because I'll watch that. Um, was it a couple years before Nosferatu? Yeah, I think it was before. Uh, oh, I can I can look that up later. We don't need to make the listeners sit around while you flip. 19, 1970s Count Dracula. Oh, that's interesting because that's like on my potential list of things to watch this weekend, and I didn't even know Klinsky was in it. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, the one directed by Jess Franco. That makes some sense. Yeah, but highest highest of recommends. You should watch. It. Although <laughs> this once again, this is not like a popcorn movie. So this is a uh, this is you want to sit down and actually like watch a piece of art movie. Yeah, yeah this is this is a, a a movie for film lovers, not for people who are casual viewers or for people who just like you know like. The, the big dumb fun stuff that we often talk about and I very much appreciate on this podcast, but it's that's not what this is. Uh oh man, we should maybe watch this movie for the show. It's nineteen seventy Count Dracula. Throw it on the list. Listen, there is nothing from the fucking nineteen seventies that involves vampires that isn't fucking awesome. <laughs> uh because you know it's just Franco directed it. Christopher Lee is back as Dracula in it. Kinski is Renfield. And then playing Jonathan, fucking Fred Williams? What? Oh, that's not Fred the Hammer Williams. Never mind. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, throw it. That feels throw, like an interesting twist. I got excited somebody, for a second. Somebody throw I'm it. so disappointed. Somebody throw it on the list with uh, Daughters of Darkness because I've been meaning to watch both those. Oh, you just you just made one listener very happy, and we'll discuss that when we get to the feedback section of the show. <laughs> right. Um, um, all right. Anything else before we uh, move on to schizoid? Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, that's good. We insulted enough <laughs> love it Hollywood actors, and you know, <laughs> complained about rats enough. 
what if I was like, and Warwick Davis is a piece of shit? <laughs> then I gotta violate some COVID orders to get to you myself. That's what goes on there. Uh, Noah couldn't even do that with a straight no, face. No, he's my favorite. I'm upset you said it in jest. That was that's not even a topic uh, all right. Well, Doug, why don't you tell us about the interesting movie that is Schizoid? Ooh, maybe we watch different ones. Um, <laughs> now, uh, this is one that I watched a couple months ago, so yeah, I, know. I, I did not rewatch it for this episode. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's, I mean, it's a Jallo film about uh, just like a group therapy and the members of the group are gradually being killed off and since the therapist is Klaus Kinski we all just kind of assume it's him for a long time um, <laughs> and then one of the members of the group who happens to be a uh, what is she like an advice columnist for the local paper she's um, getting letters in the mail that uh, are basically threatening her with being murdered, which is where the movie gets its alternative title, Murder by Mail. And uh, it's, yeah, it's a typical, there's a bunch of red herrings. They try to convince us that Doc Brown is the yeah, killer. Yeah, I was going to say it's your, to... your your stereotypical quadruple red herring fake out yeah. <laughs> film. So, like, every, everybody might be the killer, but then just the random background character who seemed very unimportant up until now is actually the killer <laughs> is how the movie goes. I don't know if you want to spoil it. It's like the girl who's getting the letters. The letters are actually coming from her therapist played by Klinsky's daughter who's played by Jaws 2. And then <laughs> I was thinking Angel, but sure. Played by Jaws 2. <laughs> and then so she's the one writing the letters it turns out. And she steals her dad's gun and does a bunch of other weird shit just to make you think that she might be a killer. But I never believed it for a second. Um, we get we get Christopher Lloyd, who nobody's going to believe he's a killer, but they try to make us think he is because <laughs> it's like they do the dumbest shit with his character. They're like, oh, he's in the office after hours. Why would he be here? Well, he's a repairman. He's there to repair something. And they're like... <laughs> Oh, but it's still creepy. And I'm like, it's not, though, because he fucking said I have to be here to repair shit. And, he fucked, he and fucked then she up. confirmed. She's like, oh, yeah, that's right. That thing is broken. So we know he was there for a legitimate reason. You know, there's the there's the joke of that. You know, Christopher Lloyd was never underneath 60. Yeah. And and this is the first film I can remember in forever of seeing him with like hair and a mustache and looking <laughs> quote fingers young still yes. looks like he's in his 50s oh yeah he he looks like doc brown if doc brown was going in, incognito by dyeing his hair and putting on a fake mustache is what he looks like <laughs> but he's still not very intimidating so i don't i never believe he's the killer um the killer turns out to be the woman's ex-husband who's also her boss who the whole movie has been in his office putting up wallpaper and every now and again they go in and they like check on him and he's putting up wallpaper like how's it going not bad putting up some wallpaper and then they leave the room and at the end he's like because I, what, I don't I'm not even sure that I understood it but I think 
he thinks that the people in the therapy group convinced his wife to leave him, and so he's killing them all. Yeah, something like that. Yes, but he says no indication in the movie he, whatsoever that he's violent until the very end. Well, and he says that at the very beginning of the movie, the very first time we meet the husband character. Yeah, he he says something about you know if you hadn't ever went to that therapy group, we'd probably still be together. And I've seen enough Giallo movies that I was like, he's a killer. That's it. That's his. That's his pathetic, weird motivation. See, that's everybody. See, my mind in my mind when I went into this, not realizing it was Giallo, I thought it was more of a slasher. And you know, of course, I didn't watch a trailer or do any research before watching the movie. So I'm like, I was thinking slasher logic. So I was just like. Klinsky's the killer. It really doesn't matter what else happens. Like, it's the creepy, weird guy that's the killer. It always is, right? And so I didn't pick up on that. But I imagine a, a different perspective on the, going into the movie would make it really obvious. Right. I will say one thing. For the fact that this is canon films, and, uh, you know, we've, we've discussed canon films and there are many, many issues, they play it pretty fucking straight for a canon movie i was i was actually pretty impressed with the amount of restraint they didn't there was they they still snuck in some some tits in a weird old people sex scene (laughs) people sex yeah and a fucking uh scene that is basically five and a half minutes of klaus kinski sexually leering at his new daughter which is fucking, yeah because <laughs> it's an episode of our podcast so we can't get out of here without a weird incest I, scene i will say rammed into the fucking movie I, for no goddamn reason in, in one of the moments though when she clearly takes her clothes off knowing her dad's watching he does later turn his back to finish a conversation with her and i'm like well that's a relief because i was a little worried when he started walking towards her I was like, on this podcast, I think I know where this is going. But then what about later in the movie, since we're talking about the creepy relationship between those two characters, later in the movie, he comes home. He's been looking for his gun, which, by the way, why does this guy have a gun? Never addressed, other than the fact that it's just Klaus Klinsky. Maybe he's just playing with it on set and they couldn't get him to put it down. But he's been looking for his gun. He comes home and he finds his, like, I don't know how old she's supposed to be. Like, I assume she's supposed to be a teenager, but the actress is still in her 20s. Um, daughter, she's wearing like a long trench coat with apparently nothing underneath it and a top hat and holding a gun. And he's like, we dressed you up like this when you were a child. Right. She's what the fuck, like, is, what the fuck she, is wrong with you? Why would you dress your child up like that? Just just so everyone knows, she's dressed like sexy Carmen Sandiego. Yeah. For no, like, full on. Just Carmen Sandiego. That's what's and by like. the way, to let everyone know how subtle the movie is, since Noah's complimenting its subtlety, we've seen the killer's silhouette at this point, and that's exactly what the killer wears. So even though it was a poorly done red herring and I never bought it for a second, it's clearly <laughs> supposed to be meant to trick us. But yeah, it's so weird that he's like, that's, yeah, we dressed you up as sexy Carmen San Diego because we wanted you to go to like. Halloween parties on college campuses and attract the wrong crowd <laughs> when you were six. <laughs> such a fucking Five. I'm telling you people, the leering, the leering scene is just too long. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 and even if they were throwing that in there to be like, look, this dude's a fucking monster. He's the killer. Three seconds. 
three seconds of that leer, that's enough. Well, and okay, yeah. so we also have the Klinsky character. We see him try to or successfully sleep with three of his patients. We already know he's the bad guy. Like, he doesn't... We don't need more, right? Like, you don't need to throw in the incest angle. Like, the fact that one of the people in Therapist is a stripper, which is clearly that's a canon film's addition to the script. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, he follows her. Like, she leaves therapy, goes straight to work at the strip club, and he follows her there, sneaks in, and bangs her in the back room. Like, that's not appropriate behavior for a therapist. I I was going to say, and... If, if you're going to have a stripper in a movie that only has, like, three lines of dialogue in the whole fucking thing... Get a better looking one. Hire a fucking stripper. <laughs> like, why do they always put these people and then they're like, okay, now is your stripper scene. Get up there and shake awkwardly on stage it is, for a second and a half. The thing is, in, like, the... In these, like, 60s and 70s movies, this is what stripping was portrayed as. It's like the girl goes out there in a bikini, takes the top off, and then kind of like go-go dances for a few minutes and leaves. And I don't, I don't know if that's what strip clubs were like back then, but that's not an accurate depiction from my relatively minimal experience with strip clubs. It's like (laughs) minimal. It's uh, enough to know that that's not what it is. Like, I know. No. You know what I mean? I don't think anybody's I shocked just, to find out that that's an inaccurate portrayal. The funniest thing is whenever she walks off stage, like there's this thunderous applause from all the dudes in the crowd. And it's like, bullshit. If, if a dude was in that strip club and, and watched that and she walked off stage, he'd be like, I don't, I can't jerk off to this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not clapping for that. She hasn't earned it. I'm going to set my beer down to applaud. <laughs> Did you guys also notice that the creepy strip club is serving dinner and it's on like a big sign out front, like dinner, and it's like flashing? (laughs) What is going on there? You're laughing about that, but that's pretty standard around here. Is it? (laughs) I was going to say the strip club in Peoria has got a pretty nice little uh, dining room set up in there. So I would, Uh, number one, I would never touch food at a strip club. No. My friend Randy, he's like, oh, no, their buffet's good. I'm like, fuck their buffet. I'm never touching food. A buffet in a strip, in a strip club. club? No. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it'd be one thing if they <laughs> had, like, a back Why is but... everything so salty? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I find this, I'm getting more and more upset. So, so I'm just saying the dinner at a, at a strip club is not unheard of around my parts, anyway. It's but... just not usually a main advertising point, is it? I guess maybe yeah. it's, it's yeah. places, but... Like Midi, wing, wing Wednesdays and stuff. Like, many, no. many moons ago, whenever I was in college in Minneapolis, there was a strip club that had all-you-can-eat chicken wings on oh. one night of the week. And it was $12 to get in. And once you paid for your entrance, it was only like $5 to get the all-you-can-eat chicken wings. <laughs> and we used to go to that and have no interest in the strippers. We were just like, wait a minute. <laughs> All you can eat. We everything have is wrong with everything. We're so poor. <laughs> everything you're saying is wrong to me. I don't understand any of it. I don't. No. I don't want to know this. I was once offered free food at a strip club, and I turned it down. Hmm. They're like, "Food's free until like whatever time," and I'm like, "I don't want to eat here. That's not what this place isn't for." That. <laughs> can I just have a one, beer, please? In a one bottle. Time. Can I open it myself? <laughs> one time. Uh, me, my friend Randy, and my friend Wes were at a strip club here in town, 
and the redheaded, curly-haired stripper, who was giggling the whole time, handed all three of us a loose peanut M&M, like gave one to each of us. Nope. To which I, uh, when she wasn't looking, threw over my shoulder onto the floor. And I think I saw Wes put his into an empty beer can. And then we look over at Randy, who's chewing, and we're just like, what the fuck are you doing? How dare you? You're so gross. You like... Randy, she doesn't have pockets. <laughs> Where do you think she was keeping those M and M's? Yeah. All right, well, you know what? Like, I hate to be that guy, but maybe we should talk about the movie some more. Do we have to? <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't, I don't... I'm not sure the listeners tuned in for strip club stories with three uh... fucking weirdos. I bet that would be the best podcast in the whole world. I don't know. Uh, I, my biggest set problem up as a separate podcast. is that like three separate women are interested in having sex with Klaus Kinski. <laughs> that's that's what real. I said. Like, that's, that's, real that's they the purposely is, put him in this movie just so he could be like, well, I get to have a sex scene with every woman in this movie. And they're like, sure, fine, but, whatever. The thing is, he's using his power as their therapist over them to manipulate them into sex, which makes him an evil motherfucker. But then to make him not be the killer is like, so why is like, why, why do you just have a second hugely evil character in your movie? It's weird. I guess yeah. it's not weird because it's a Giallo film and I got to stop thinking of it as being a normal movie. But it's it, it's it's just it's a weird thing where I'm just like, I don't I don't know why he's so evil. And then at the end, he's just not the bad guy. It's like, well, why is like, why is the guy that's just wallpapering all the time? Why is he the bad guy? And when the big reveal comes, it's done in such a cheesy way that I'm just like, did you, did you guys realize after after the reveal at the end that they're scissors for cutting wallpaper? Yeah, that's like what he was killing. That's what he was killing people with. Yeah, because they say they say like <laughs> the scissors have paste on them, like the kind of paste you would use for wallpaper, and, then, <laughs> and they're like, uh oh. That's when I figured it out. <laughs> so they had like yeah. the one red herring stab like the fucking actual killer to death, which is kind of a fun touch. Mm. I don't know. I I think we're having more fun talking about this movie than I had watching it. I'll say that. <laughs> That's um, very true. That's why I didn't like, rewatch it. I like to get into a more detailed analysis rather than just making fun of it. It was I had to pause this movie a couple of times and take breaks from watching it. And I'm like, fuck, how long is this thing? And it's like an hour 45, which is a pretty standard length for a movie that I can usually sit right through all that. Yeah. But it was like hard for me. Um, It was just real slow. In keeping with Giallo tradition, the kills were not particularly original, but that got kind of a little, I don't think I kind of old after a few, after the first couple, I'm just like, okay, to kill somebody in a different way. Yeah, the gentle the gentle prodding stabbings. Yeah. It's no good. This for for the fact that this is a canon movie, it should have been more violent and there probably should have yeah. been nudity to keep everybody. Yeah, yeah, like, Yeah, like lean into the slasher elements of it rather than the mystery that's not particularly interesting and you know, go like I say go with big kills. Throw in some more boobs hire more attractive women like there's a scene here where there's like a bunch of women in a hot tub naked and we don't see any nudity in that scene and i remember like thinking wow i wasn't disappointed by the lack of nudity 
they should have hired more attractive actresses for like again <laughs> if if this is the movie you're making ramp up those elements of it to make it more fun because your their attempt at making a like a deeply serious movie that it, it turned boring which is a problem i was i was going to say that that scene f- f- fucked me up it's so bad just because it was like you get the canon logo and then the very next scene is like a bunch of women that are clearly naked in a hot tub and somebody taking pictures of them. And then whenever that scene ends and you don't actually see any of those women naked, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> How dare you, canon? You wait, roll back to see if it's actually a canon movie. Like, did somebody edit right. that canon thing in? Is this a fan editor? <laughs> yeah, I was like, something's not right. Did yeah. somebody tell the producers what they were doing? Because... They would have gotten trouble. The thing is, like, <laughs> and we, we we come back to this with canon a lot. Like, canon is fun when canon does canon. And here, canon is trying to do a Giallo movie. And it's like, don't. Why are you trying to do a Giallo movie? You're so good at doing canon movies. Why didn't any cars blow up in this movie? How do you make a canon movie and not a single fucking car blows up? <laughs> uh, I don't get it, right? And they make, like, silly canon mistakes. Like, they have, like for no reason they have a scene where the one guy's like goes to the apartment to check on his ex-wife and then some other guy's like what are you doing on the fire escape and chases him down the street for 10 minutes and you're like that's a canon mistake but if this were a real canon movie one of those two guys would have got hit by a car randomly when they were running down the street and it would have been hilarious and they just they didn't do any of that stuff it's like have a little fun with your movie it's the same thing we said about fucking making a movie where the American Ninja doesn't kick anybody. It's like, that's, that's what you guys do. Do what you do. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, no, I, obviously you found the movie unentertaining because otherwise you would have rewatched it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I think I was just, like you said, I was kind of in the mood for a slasher movie and it is way more of a Giallo movie, but even then it's still not good. Well, because Giallo movies rely on the visuals. The way we talked about with Nosferatu is like, that's what makes them stand out. And this doesn't have that either, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just disappointing. Canon Canon Pictures is not capable of making a Giallo film, right? That's like what Dario Argento does. On the Klaus Kinski scale, I would put this well below Nosferatu and maybe slightly above Cellar Dweller. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. Uh, just wait till you get to Kinski month. You'll have a chance to read all this stuff. fucking month of Kinski. No. <laughs> I thought about going deep dive on Kinski this week. So I'm like, I gotta find something to do. And uh, then I'm like looking at his filmography and it's like hugely long. And I'm like, it's not a lot on here. I really want to watch. So walk by a Picosimus and PetSmart and fucking have a nom flashback. <laughs> Kinski now <laughs> show us on the doll where Kinski touched you stop, stop judging that woman you mutant the most horrific part of this was where Noah's like I'm just going to shop in person at PetSmart instead of doing curbside pickup how dare you kind monster, monster are you first of all I love shopping at PetSmart not during a pandemic though He's going to give that fish COVID. My dog needs food. And on Sunday, they got all them adoptable kitty cats. And I got to walk by all the kitty cat cages and feel sad and be like, oh, I love that kitty cat. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. 
more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Alright, so we got one piece of feedback, uh, which I'm not going to read all of it. No, read it all. Uh, no. <laughs> read the whole thing. It's just a giant list. It literally is just a list. Tracy took list? what we said to heart and decided to Good Lord. set up the shows for the rest of the podcast until we die of old age. Or, or podcasting as a medium disappears. I was going to say, this list is longer than the actual list that we have for the show. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, so Tracy wrote back, hey, thanks for reading my feedback. And yes, I'm the Tracy who comments on the Instagram account. So if anybody wants to know who this Tracy is, go to the Instagram account and then I guess make comments that, oh, you're the Tracy from Instagram and make her feel awkward and never respond to us ever again. Uh, <laughs> Why are you trying to turn our listeners against I don't know. Right? I don't know. Uh, below is a list of my movies for review or commentary. I don't have an extensive knowledge as to what is appropriate to screen at a drive-in movie theater. Well, apparently neither do we. Uh, I have only been to one. That's a bummer. That's and, unfor- and unfortunately, the sea mist rolled in. And due to it being a hot Cornish day, just as the movie rolled. Uh, so that'd be pretty awesome. You're just sitting there watching a movie and like the fog rolls in. And you're just like, what? Yeah, if it was the right movie, that'd be perfect. <laughs> Yeah, probably hope you're not trying to see like Star Wars or something, and that kind of just comes across <laughs> the screen like. Uh. Uh, she said the film *Knives Out* was viewed through a misty haze, but still enjoyable. So yeah, like if you could coordinate that with watching like *The Mist* or *The Fog*. Oh, fuck *The Mist*. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. You want to be watching *The Mist* with a normie, and that happens, and they watch yeah. you freak out. <laughs> yeah, you can't see the screen, but you can hear everything that's going on. You're just like, oh fuck. <laughs> Uh, uh, so then she gives us a giant list of movies that uh, we'll probably do f- like forever. Yeah, we'll get to a bunch of those. Uh, uh, Daughters of Darkness is on there, and Noah already said he wants to put it on the list, so we'll make yeah. sure that one gets up there because that's one that's been on my to watch list forever, and I don't know why I've never seen it. I remember looking at the VHS a lot. I've been when told I'm a bunch of times that it's a solid movie. So yeah, it, it supposedly is. So. We'll get to it. Um, and she says, thanks for keeping me entertained during the COVID lockdowns. We are now on lockdown number three. Ahead of the game. I'm only on lockdown <laughs> number two. Very pleased that Noah is feeling better following his illness with the virus. Uh, frowny face. And she signs it Tracy. So, yeah, I'm sure we can uh, work some of these in. But Jesus Christ, this is. So there's a lot of good movies on there. There's a few that we've already done, so yeah. questioning Tracy's loyalty to our show. The <laughs> House of Wax? Come on. Or wait, that was on uh, the other show, wasn't it? Yeah, but... I, I don't even remember. But that's still, not, that's we, still follows. Considering yeah. the number of suggestions she's given, I think we can start taking the ones off that are <laughs> from either podcast. Uh so yeah, so I guess uh, look forward to all this stuff. We got a shit ton of stuff to cover, apparently, to yeah. her. 
Yeah, no, we'll get to a bunch of it because a lot of it is good suggestions. I think there's some that are already on the list. I went yeah. through the whole list of movies. I don't have it open in front of me, though. Yeah. It's broken down by categories, too, so maybe we can start grouping a couple of them together and making full shows out of her suggestions. Yeah, might be a good idea. Um, so, what else did everybody watch? Uh, not a whole lot. Uh, I did start watching The Stand, the uh, the new CBS one. Oh, yeah. I've not heard good things, so... Uh, I'm on episode two, so... That's not a good sign. So. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to decide how I want to phrase it because I don't want to just bag on it because it's not awful. But they made some weird choices about the timeline. Yeah. That yeah. don't. I, th- I think you can talk about make, that. They don't. don't they don't fucking make sense. Well, because they're ju- they're jumping around. They keep jumping forward and back and forward and back and forward and back. And my my opinion is, you only fucking do that if it adds something to the narrative. Mm. Like there's no fucking reason ever, ever, ever to do that type of weird shit if it doesn't functionally serve a purpose to the story, in which none of this does. Yeah. It's it's just scenes that they want to show in the order that they want to show them, which is just fucking dumb. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I've heard that, uh, yeah, that you kind of just start after everything's kind of already happened. And then they kind of do flashbacks and stuff. Right. It keeps, it keeps like something happens and then it'll jump forward to them already being at the, uh, the commune. Mm Hmm. And then immediately jump back again. Yeah. And then yeah. the next episode, it'll be from another person's perspective and do the same thing, but it'll like show them in the past, but then it'll jump way for, er, forward and then jump back again. And I don't, I just don't, I don't, that decision's a bad yeah. decision. Yeah. I've, the complaint I heard specifically was that since they're jumping back and forth, that uh, there's no tension. Like, oh, are they ever going to reach Boulder or whatever and stuff? So sort of all that tension of the story, if they're going to make it or not, is immediately lost just because they're already there and they're showing shit in flashbacks. Right, right. And most of the way through the second episode, you still haven't heard flag speak mm-hmm. like you've seen him a couple of times and it's like well no he should be all over the fucking place because they should be doing their recruiting thing I, I don't know I, I feel like I feel like the showrunner thinks that they can tell this story better than Stephen King told it mm-hmm. and that's fucking dumb because it's <laughs> you know it's like it's a very beloved book out of all of you know it's back in the uh the era of Stephen King can do no wrong. Yeah. yeah. And realistically, probably his book that will of all of his books be the one that people sort of talk about a hundred years from now. It's just a good literary piece of literary fiction. Yeah. I, I think I would agree with that. Yeah. It's hard to it's hard to name another one. Maybe I mean I bet Carrie might hang around a long time. 
Yeah, so that's disappointing. I was kind of excited for the series, but then, yeah, I've heard pretty much nothing but complaints about stuff like that you're talking about. So, yeah, I'm not even interested. I mean, there are things I like about it. So, so far, I like all the actors that have playing the different roles. And I fucking really dig what they did with Captain Trips. It's fucking kind of cool and gross. But, yeah, I don't know. The, I, yeah, I don't get the jumping around thing. I, I almost wish, like, each episode of the first season was just you pick a character and it's their story from the outbreak until they get to the commune. Mm-hmm. Or, or the outbreak until they go off to Vegas. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's not what they're doing. And I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but the... Uh, God, you would know this, Brian. What's what's the character's name? The one who has uh, uh, mental deficiencies? Uh, either Tom Cullen or Trash Can Man. Tom. Tom. Okay, that's yeah, M O O N guy, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He hasn't shown up yet, and I'm I'm slightly convinced that character is not going to make an appearance in this show. Uh, he's in there, but I've heard that they've tried to make his symptoms more realistic and less simpleton like they was in the movie or the right. original series yeah i was uh, i was talking to char about that because i was like i just you can't i don't think you can do that type of that he's just an adult brain simpleton you know what i mean you can't yeah. do that yeah. yeah so i think that he does show up from what i've heard and there's uh but yeah, they don't play it up as much as they did when Dauber played him. Right. I mean, so far in the first two episodes, it's the uh, God damn it, I can never remember his name. The Nazi kid. Nazi uh, kid. The the one who is like super jealous of the main character, and he's slowly oh. turning into a Harold wearing motorcycle guy. Yeah, Harold Lauder. Yeah, in which it's been so long since I read the book, I can't remember if it's more accurate or less accurate, but they've turned him into kind of a a manifesto writing incel character. You know yeah. what I mean? So they made him kind of one of those dudes. He's he's like an alt-right basement dweller type character. Yeah, seems about right. Which I don't, which I don't hate because I yeah. mean, he's he's awful. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is part of the I think that's part of the problem with the the story where they're trying to make these characters gray area characters and that doesn't translate because in the stand every character is one of two things they're either like an an archon of good or an archon of evil and that's it <laughs> like you don't get there isn't a lot of subtlety other than a few characters and they all end badly um all right. Do you remember the movie Split with um, fucking Professor X? What's his name? Yeah. Okay. Remember in the girls' flashbacks, the creepy uncle that would play like what was a bear or something, where he would essentially the the child molesting uncle that she had, the girl had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's playing Tom Cullen in the show. Ew. So he's a good actor. I mean. I mean that's that's good, but ooh. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, so, I don't know. I may never check this out, just because I've heard how disappointing it is, but once it's all done, maybe I'll watch it, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Like you said, there's just a lot of stuff, and I I think the other problem is whenever this project was first set to be put together, like, the names and stuff that were attached to it were so awesome that the end product that we got feels shabby. You know what I mean? Like, whenever they were like, uh, Matthew McConaughey is going to be flag in the stand, it was like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think everybody reacted like that. We were like, "That is, that is the one hundred percent the right call." Mm-hmm. And in, and instead, you got whoever the fuck they have. Alexander Skarsgård, and he's not a bad actor. It just it might just be a horrible version of Flag. Right. He's not well, and once again, not a bad actor, but not Matthew McConaughey. That's right? true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because when they announced Matthew McConaughey, I was kind of excited for that too. Um. Because if you look at the version from the miniseries in the 90s, like Matthew McConaughey is perfect to play that version. Right. Um, the version in the book is maybe not as over the top, but still pretty good. Um, and then when they made uh, The Dark Tower, they made him the man in black, which... Uh, uh. Spoiler alert, I guess, um, in the books, that's the same character. Yeah, it is. I mean, it... it but over. they completely changed how he uh, was portrayed in the Dark Tower movie, though. Yeah, that so. Dark Tower movie was uh, not good. Not good. I need to revisit it, though, but I don't know. I don't know if I can I didn't make it all the way through the first time. I watched half of it, and I was like, what in the fuck did they do? <laughs> And just yeah. turned it off. Yeah, <sighs> it's a bummer. But yeah, but that's it. Besides, besides that, the only thing I've been watching is I've been <laughs> rewatching uh, Hell's Kitchen. Oh yeah, just because it's one of my stress reliever shows. I like to watch it and laugh. At How the fuck like is that a stress idiots. reliever show? I don't, that, that's just Gordon Ramsay screaming at people for well, fucking hours. Well, but it's Gordon, but it's Gordon Ramsay screaming at people that just fucking deserve to be screamed at. So it's catharsis. Because ninety percent of the I don't I know people think he's over the top and stuff, but ninety percent of the time I'm one hundred percent on his side. Yet, like, yeah, you uh, fucking idiot! Why the fuck would you do that? <laughs> No, I used to really love uh, Kitchen Nightmares. And I mean, like the original Kitchen Nightmares, like the British version. When oh, was... no, that's that's what I'm talking about. Kitchen Nightmares, the, the yeah. American version. But did yeah, I say the... Hell's Kitchen? That's I didn't mean. Yeah, that. yeah. You said Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Kitchen OK, Nightmares. Kitchen Kitchen Nightmares, I could take Hell's Kitchen, where it's just like they're in the middle of cooking and he's screaming at it, telling them how they're doing it wrong. And they still have to finish the meal. I'm just like, I can't I couldn't do that. No, Kitchen Nightmares, I can I can get behind, and the especially the original version. I think that was better than the uh, American version, but the American version was still something I enjoyed watching. Yeah, the American know. the American version became just more of like a remodel show eventually. Right. Where it's just like, okay, yeah, this restaurant sucks. Okay, we remodeled your dining room and your kitchen. Now don't fuck it up. Whereas the British version was a lot more of like taking a look at this restaurant and be like, well, 
problem is this stuff on your menu is not really working for what you're saying it's supposed to be. And these are the ways you can solve it by going to the local farmer's market and blah, blah, blah. And I enjoyed all that stuff. But right, they, right, they right. toned it way down for the American version. Yeah, I dis- I dislike the fact that the American version, too, is it's the same story over and over again, kind of. Yeah. You know, it's like, these are the problems, and the kitchen is dirty, and I'm shutting the kitchen down, and then... Yeah, two siblings inter- can't get along. Yeah, let's introduce a special. Okay, here's a dinner service. That doesn't go too well. Okay, next day, new restaurant, new menu. Let's do it again. Oh, it's starting to go down, but they pull it together at the end. You know, it's like... It's like... In which there's no way. There's mathematically, there's no way that it occurred the same way every time, which means it's yeah. just shitty editing to put together a narrative to force it to follow yeah. the, the thing. And then you hit the Amy's Bakery episode. I can't even remember which one that is. Uh, that's the one where he walked out. It was the season finale because they were fucking nuts. And he just walked out and told them, you're beyond help. You're all crazy. Just fucking funny. left. And they tried to, like, sue him and stuff afterwards, and they ended up not winning. So, good times. Yep, but that's it. I didn't watch anything else. What'd you watch, Doug? Uh, A couple of different things. I watched the 1980-something movie Offerings, which is a... Oh, yeah. I just bought that on Blu-ray recently. Yeah, well... um, (laughs) <laughs> so the the idea of it actually that's why I watched it because I, I saw your post about it, um, mm. but the idea of it is really cool. So the idea is it's typical like a bunch of kids were mean to a kid and then years later he breaks out of an insane asylum and he's going to kill everybody. Right, that's your setup. But there's the one girl that was nice to him, so he is going to leave her the body parts as a gift. The way sometimes a cat will leave a dead mouse for people. Like <laughs> yeah. That's the idea. Um, great idea. Execution, not so much. Yeah. It's just one of those ones where you're just like, they didn't have the budget and or the talent to do a lot of good gore. And you're like, but this, like this concept calls for a bunch of gory scenes and you don't really get it. Um, the killer himself, not particularly interesting or anything like that. Um, Obviously, none of the other characters are interesting. They're slasher victims. Like I wouldn't, wouldn't even want them to be necessarily. But yeah, it, it, the movie just didn't have much to offer. It was just one of those kind of typical nothing budget slasher movies from the period. A lot of kind of yeah. weird problems with it. Um, yeah, I watched it a long time ago, and I don't remember enjoying it particularly. Um, but I know that I am going back and sort of reevaluating some of those 80s slasher movies. Yeah. And I saw it was on sale on Blu-ray for like six bucks or something. So I was like, yeah, I'll pick it up. Yeah. Why not? I haven't watched it yet. It's just, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I think I was just more excited for the concept of it. And then watching it not be executed was pretty disappointing. You know, yeah. I didn't turn it off or anything, but it's just, there's so many better slasher movies out there. You know, again, you need good kills to make your slasher movie work. You don't need interesting characters necessarily, and this film does not either. So, yeah, kind of a letdown for me. Yeah, that's a bummer. We'll have to see, see when I get around to it. If it, if I remember it being, if it 
is better than I remember or if it's just going to be one that I then put on the shelf and be like, hey, see, I got this movie. But then never watch it. It's cool box art. Yeah. The, yeah, that the, spoiler alert, the thing you're seeing in the box doesn't really happen in the movie. <laughs> the special <laughs> effects for the box art are too good. The movie doesn't have anything quite that good in it. So, I don't know. Um, yeah. The other one I watched, which was, a, it's a rewatch, but I hadn't seen it in quite some time, was a Deadly Blessing. Mm-hmm. Which is the Wes Craven movie from like yeah. it's, it's from a couple of years before Nightmare on Elm Street, which I I find super interesting because there's a scene in this movie that was directly lifted in a Nightmare on Elm Street, and so I'm never sure if Wes Craven was ripping himself off or if he was homaging himself. I'm not sure exactly how you want to word it. <laughs> Neither of those sound good. Um, but yeah, like the bathtub scene from Nightmare on Elm Street, like literally same yeah. shots and everything are in Deadly Blessing. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty fun movie for people who haven't seen it. It's The idea is that this woman in, married a not Amish guy. They go out of their way to point out that he's not Amish because I guess they don't want to piss off the Amish movie-going market. Um, but how are they ever going to find out? I don't know. But uh, it's I found it hilarious that they were going out of their way to make sure everyone knows, knows these guys aren't Amish. And I'm like, why? Why are you trying to not to offend the Amish? I don't get it. They, they, it's literally the one group you can go ahead and offend with your movie. <laughs> if they say anything about it, if they say they're offended, then they're not really Amish, are they? So, but uh, uh, anyways, yeah. So the idea is then after her husband dies, she's staying on the farm, and she's sort of being bothered by the non-Amish, and people are being killed and what's going on is it supernatural is there the Amish are blaming her for the killing saying that she's some kind of incubus and she thinks one of them might just be murdering people there's a one of those simpleton 80s characters that you said you can't really do nowadays they could do it back in the 80s and they got uh, Michael Berryman to play him so it's pretty good and a pretty surprising twist ending that um I don't know if you guys want it spoiled or not, but I'm gonna. But it turns out like there's this one character that just keeps like seems like a very nice character, a nice woman that keeps stopping by. Turns out hermaphrodite and forced to be raised as a woman. So kind of like a sleepaway camp twist without the crazy visuals. (laughs) And uh, yeah, it turns out she, she. she was like in love with the woman or whatever and therefore killing people you know slasher movie logic of why you'd be killing people sure because you were forced to be dressed as a woman your whole life when you didn't feel like you were comfortable with that um yeah so pretty fun movie lots of kind of fun creepy scenes where they're like is something supernatural going on or isn't it you know all that kind of stuff um uh, sharon stone's in it so that's kind of fun ernest borgnine plays the father of the uh Amish family so his performance is great um, just yeah fun stuff there's lots of like there's a weird subplot where one of the just throughout this the main woman her friends come to stay with her because her husband's died and they want to comfort her or whatever and one of them is like randomly trying to seduce one of the Amish guys who's already betrothed to be married so there's like this weird subplot that doesn't make any sense but she gets him to like drive a car for the first time and you get to see fun stuff like that so it's a recommend if anyone hasn't seen it. 
it's a it's a Wes Craven movie from the 80s so I don't even know if I had to say anything else yeah I uh, I watched it a long time ago but I don't remember pretty yeah. much anything about it it had been a long time since I saw it so that's why I figured I'd give it a rewatch uh, yeah after that the other thing I rewatched was this the 2011 documentary Superheroes, which I may or may not have talked about before on the show, because I've seen it a few times. Have you guys seen that one? It's about real-life superheroes? I have not. Yeah. What a, what a strange group of people. Exactly my comment. And the reason I've rewatched this a few times is because I don't, like... There's times in this where I'm like, look, if they want to wear costumes and then go around and, like, help people, Sure. Like, wear your costume if it, if it makes it more fun for you to go and, you know, distribute things to homeless people that'll make their lives a little better. If, if you want to wear a mask when you're doing that, no problem. Then there's other times where I'm like, these people are insane and they're going to get themselves killed because they're putting on these costumes and, like, patrolling the streets at night. And there's other times where I'm like, it seems like these people are just using this as an excuse to, like, pick fights. And they just want an excuse to hurt somebody, so they're going to go right ahead and dress up in a costume and pretend they're out there protecting people. And I keep watching the documentary because I'm like, I don't know where I fall on these people. I don't know if I'm on their side. I don't know if I think that they need mental help. I don't I, know if... And it, inevitably, all of them fit all of the categories. It's so weird. I was going to say, my favorite part of the entire documentary is there's a part where, you know, first you get introduced to them and you're like... Oh, these people are nuts. And then one of them kind of goes, you know, we're not nuts. And he goes, it's not like we're doing what you think we're doing. We're out like helping the homeless and all this kind of stuff. And then it like shows him doing all this charity work. And you're like, oh, no, that's all great. And then it shows him say, you know, it's not like we're carrying around weapons and stuff. And then the very next scene is this dude like, check out my arsenal. This is my this is my extendable baton and my my 12 bajillion volt taser that can fucking vaporize yeah. somebody's neck meat. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the that's the Florida people you're talking about if anyone wants to be surprised. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's a lot of weird stuff like that. And it's like there's one where it's like there's a group in New York and they literally like they use like bait like they have like there's a there's a gay member of the group and there's a woman member of the group and they'll put them out there in situations like hoping they'll get mugged so that the other guys can come and beat the shit out of the muggers which is like really first of all it's a a dangerous dangerous idea because who knows what those muggers are like you know what i mean you see them out there on the street at like two in the morning you're like you don't really want to fuck with the kind of people who are doing muggings at two in the morning. But secondly, it's like, really, there's some ethical questions there about like when you're baiting them into it intentionally. And you're like, I don't know. You guys shouldn't be doing this. Like you guys should be going to therapy instead of doing this. And then as they're out there, like trying to do this, there's like a guy that gets his foot run over and they run over and they help him and they patch him up and take him home and call an ambulance for him and everything. And I'm like, yeah, do that. Like, if you want to feel better about yourselves, go out and look for people who are hurt and help them. Because that's that's a good thing that you're doing. It's just like, but that's not what you were out there trying to do. So make that your focus. I don't, it's A lot of it is very strange to me. <laughs> and, like, a lot of them are just, like, 
clearly they're just having a little fun with it. Like there's one guy that dresses up like, and he just, they, they, they think they're drawing more attention to the causes that they're trying to support. You're like, well, that's fine. Like if you, again, if you're bringing food to homeless people or fucking running a nonprofit and you want to do it in a costume by all means, but the one guy like is legitimately like, he's kind of, he's sort of the focus of it. And he just, he operates out in San Diego and he's like, living out of his van because he puts all his money into his superhero thing and he's walking around the streets and all the like the cops seem to know him and they always like stop him and remind him that he's like not allowed to wander onto like the university campus with his like mace and his taser and stuff and you're like it's you're gonna get yourself hurt one day man like if you actually stumble across like, a real crime you're gonna be in trouble like it's fucking nuts because he's clearly not capable of doing anything like he's not even in good shape or anything it's weird i don't know it's a really really interesting documentary to watch so we're not going to see you in a in a costume roll in the streets of your town trying to keep everybody safe well last time we talked about my town you were accusing me of kidnapping a child here (laughs) so what am i going out there trying to keep myself the streets safe from me it doesn't make any sense (laughs) Uh, sure I'm just glad you reminded me. I was going to forget to talk about that. <laughs> but anyways, that's that's kind of all I watched. The only other thing, um, I started rewatching one of my favorite TV series. It's called Spaced. Have you guys seen it? Do you want to talk about it for the third week in a row? <laughs> I believe we've created a vicious cycle where I watched it. Then you guys got excited and talked about it. And I'm like, God damn, I got to rewatch that. And so yeah. now I'm hoping that this kicks off one of you guys' rewatches. <laughs> <laughs> we end up just I mean, having to create a bumper for Space Duck. I mean, I can always talk about it. So. It's, I literally, like, I was having trouble finding a copy of uh, Schizoid to watch because they took it off Tubi after I put it on the list because they're dicks that way. Yeah. And, uh, like, last night I just I got frustrated. I'm like, I don't even want to watch this movie anymore. I'll wait and watch it tomorrow. And then I'm like, Oh, I could watch some space. Then I just put it on, and like I'm halfway through season two now. <laughs> <laughs> that is how it works. <laughs> uh, I'm liking it more on a rewatch than I did the first time. Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't. There's something about. We are talking about all of a sudden. I was joking when I brought it up, <laughs> but there's something about the way that like. Edgar writes stuff with like especially when it's, he's working with Simon Pegg, like it's it feels like you're just like revisiting old friends, even though it's the second time I've seen this. It's not like a movie that I've seen a hundred times on cable kind of oh, thing. Yeah. But it, and I, I felt this way about Shaun of the Dead. I remember buying the DVD when it first came out and watching it thinking like, I feel like I've seen it a million times. I feel like I'm sitting down to watch like a comfort food thing that I know every inch of, but it's not, it's only a second time watch. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know how they get that feeling out of me. Yeah. Yeah, I felt that too when I when I rewatched it last week. It was like, oh, I miss these guys. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, there's Mike. There's Mike behind in the very first is it the first episode? Whatever whatever episode they have their little housewarming party. Mm-hmm. And he's hanging out hanging out besides behind the door doing security. <laughs> He's got his gun drawn, just standing by the door, like, all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I totally get it. Yeah, I don't know. 
So I'm probably I might have another rewatch of it going by the time we meet again <laughs> and discuss next week's movies. <laughs> I wish there was a lot more of it sometimes. I'm like, if it was like if it was like Buffy where there were seven seasons, I might just finish it and restart right away. Like, yeah. With only having like whatever it is, like twelve episodes or something, I don't. Fourteen. 14 yeah yeah like i said it's 14 perfect episodes like it's... there's no filler it's just no i have no complaints it's glorious the only thing i have with it is like now watching it more and more times and picking up on more and more of the references and stuff i keep wanting to look up what the references are and then like i'm um, honestly like when i got to the cuckoo's nest episode i almost was like maybe i'll just stop this and watch cuckoo's nest so i get the jokes better like that's how i do it <laughs> you ever seen, seen cuckoo's that. nest no i've never seen it ah oh, i'm gonna put that on this that is that is legitimately like not even a joke that is legitimately my favorite movie of all time yeah you've said that before and it keeps me interested but yeah so good hmm. well i'm gonna go upstairs and watch space as soon as we're done <laughs> Oh, I'm telling you, no. it's just cycle. No, are you going to join us? No, I'm good. Oh, what an asshole. Uh, first Steve Buscemi <laughs> and now this. I dare. Just turning on all of the beloved things. <laughs> uh, all right, was that it? Did you watch anything else? No, that's it. Uh, well, since we're talking about the thing I accused you of stealing children, uh, uh, I'm not done with it yet. We have one episode left, and I keep forgetting about it because we could have watched that tonight before we started the show. But uh, the, watching this uh, documentary series on Netflix called "The Disappearance of Madeline McCann," and it's these parents who went on uh, vacation in oh, what fucking country is it? Is it in Spain? I don't know. I know I it's just like this story vaguely. Now that you've said the name, I actually remember this. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen the documentary series though. So they were at, like this hotel, like right on the beach or whatever. And the thing is, like during the day, all the kids would go to what they called like the kids club, where they had sort of like a uh, I don't want to say teacher, not really a babysitter, but they had coordinated events for all the children to go do, and then the adults would go off and do stuff. Uh, and then at night, and it was like this big group of. Uh, Adults, and then they brought all their kids, and they're all staying in the same resort. And then at night, the kids would go to bed at like eight o'clock, and these parents would walk over to a restaurant that was like, you know, a hundred feet away, like not, not like yeah. super far away. And they would kind of walk over there, and then they would all take turns. Every twenty minutes, a parent would get up from the table and go check on everybody's kids, and make sure everything was all good and then you know come back and then 20 minutes later somebody else would go it's not an un unsound strategy personally i was still like i don't know if i would because the the this one lady left her three-year-old daughter in the hotel asleep by herself and i'm like i'm like i don't uh, that's like too young i think like i would not feel comfortable leaving a three-year-old no, alone no, I wouldn't asleep in a hotel <clears throat> no I, d I definitely wouldn't leave it through. like i i was thinking when you were saying that these kids were like you know eight to ten kind of thing and it'd be yeah. like okay if, you, if you're very close by and mm -hmm. you know a three-year-old if you're going out on the balcony maybe that'd be fine but yeah if you're leaving the um, building it's a problem well when the mom came back to check on her turns out someone came in to the apartment and just walked out with her 
Well, that'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why you're not supposed to leave your children on the table. <laughs> right. Uh, so then they kind of freak out, obviously, and then like everybody, people not even like in their group, uh, start like a mad search of the area, trying to see if they can find her. So then all these things come out, you know, somebody saw somebody walking down the street carrying a kid that would have been like about 20 minutes after, you know, before it was discovered she was missing. And like, you know, the police are somewhat doing a thing, but then like there starts to become questions if the police actually, you know, did a good job of trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, someone, someone from some jurisdiction I don't know if it was part of this jurisdiction or if it was just somebody commenting on maybe why there are problems. Is that like, uh, well, the problems in like a missing person case like this is, it's hard to like investigate it because there's nobody to like question about why the child, you know, why did someone take the child or whatever? Like there's, there's not a lot to go on per se. And maybe that's why there was some like uh, neglect in trying to figure out who took her or whatever. So then over the four episodes we watched so far, it's just trying to figure out we're getting to like six months. This kid has been missing and you know, they still haven't really even found like a good person of interest. Like they, they do find a couple people that they start questioning and I feel terrible for because they're doing this thing where it's like, oh, yeah, we have a person of interest. And it seems like they're 100% sure, like, oh, this guy totally did it. And so then they start, you know, questioning them and investigating and everything. And then they come up with, like, nothing. So then this guy's life is pretty much ruined now because of this. Because his picture was all over the paper and... Yeah. He lived he lived like two blocks away from the resort and like all this stuff. And they, they like actually talked to the guy and he's just like, Yeah, I mean I couldn't leave my house for like two years because there was always reporters like outside. And obviously, you know, my life is ruined. So what the fuck am I supposed to do? Even though they did not find a single clue that anything had happened or that I was involved or anything. So all that stuff's kind of horrible. So, but the weird thing is, so this takes place like in Spain, and then randomly, <laughs> it cuts to Kingston, Ontario, Canada, and I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> and for some reason, there was like a priest or his wife. Or, no, I guess he wouldn't have a wife if he was a priest. I don't know, some religious guy. They they saw the reports and felt they had to go over to do something. I don't remember how they were directly involved. But they ended up becoming friends with, like, the parents of the missing daughter after they went to help do whatever through the church. It's probably why I remember the name. It's probably the kind of thing that was in the news around here. Yeah. So (laughs) I just immediately messaged Doug, and I'm like, I'm watching this girl being missing. And they went to Kingston to uh, talk to some people that were involved. It leads me to question, Doug. (laughs) Did you steal a little girl and dress her up as a boy? <laughs> Try to, some weird reverse sleepaway camp situation? To which I replied, I don't think so. <laughs> yep. I immediately it called seems Interpol. seems like I would remember that, but... I immediately called Interpol and they're actually listening right now, so... 
You've been caught, for, finally. Imagine buddy. how boring your fucking job is. You're like, you work for Interpol, and like, you gotta listen to this shitty podcast. Why? One of the guys is an asshole. We don't know. It's just, we, you know that we follow up on every lead thing? Yeah, we gotta change that policy, because now look where he led us. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a kid now. And... And that, that, that leads us to suspect that in 2007, he abducted this little girl, this, keeping her hostage and having her dress up as a little boy for the past 14 or 17 years. Yes. Somehow he's convinced her to de-age. 14 years. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm interested to see if there's any resolution. I've purposely not... Uh, read anything about the case just because I want to watch the last episode to see if there's any sort of resolution or whatever. But how is the documentary as far as like keeping your interest and stuff? Uh, it's pretty good. I mean, they're good about they're good about cliffhangers. That's for damn sure. Oh yeah, it's like, no oh. guy driving a homemade tank. No, it's definitely not that. No, but. There'll be like an episode and we're like, all right, well, I'm not sure if they've really convinced me that they have any idea what's going on. And then like, and then we brought in, we brought in a blood sniffing dog into the apartment that they were living in because there begins to be suspicion that maybe something happened and the girl died on vacation and the parents are trying to come up with some story, concocted some story to make it look like she was kidnapped so they wouldn't get in trouble for i love that the story they come up with well she's not we don't know what happened to her we were just completely neglecting our duties as parents (laughs) yeah so they bring like they bring a blood sniffing dog into the to the apartment that they were staying in and uh you know nothing's really going on and then all of a sudden he starts he starts barking at one specific spot and you know cliffhanger it's like god damn it all right start the next episode that's that's pretty well done credits do so i mean yeah cliffhangers like that it's just like son of a bitch um yeah uh what else did i watch oh before we started i watched two episodes in the new twilight zone oh yeah um one of them's called a traveler and uh purposely watched it in black and white and I feel like this was the most uh, most like an original episode of the Twilight Zone. Okay. Had me really excited. So it takes place in this Alaskan town. It's Christmas Eve. Uh, Greg Kinnear plays the sheriff of this super small town up in Alaska that they mention over and over again. It's just there to kind of um, help anything with the local... Uh, what do they call it? The Cheney Air Base or whatever. Some some military base that's close by. And, you know, it's pretty much because of that base, this super small town is like popped up. And he's sort of in charge of it. And uh, he has this tradition every Christmas Eve through exposition. And Greg Kinnear is not the hero of the story, but he... Uh, they sort of talk about how every Christmas Eve he uh, he will pardon one random person in their jail as long as they haven't committed some sort of like you know murder or something crazy like you know if you got caught drunk driving or something that night they'll 
part of you as a Christmas gift, and he does it every Christmas Eve. And he thinks he's like kind of a kind of a big guy for doing stuff like that. He just really is thinks thinks of himself as very self important. Put it that way. Um, and one of his local deputies, she brings in her brother who was drunk at a bar, and you know the police got called, and so she brought him in, and he's the only person. So she tells him like, so you know. Because he's really mad at her. He's like, you're bringing your own brother in. And she's like, you were drunk. You were being kind of dumb. But, you know, you weren't doing anything crazy. So it's fine. You'll, you'll go sleep it off in the jail cell. And the sheriff's going to pardon you anyway. So it it'll, won't be a big deal. And plus, I'll get you some of the food because they're having like a Christmas party at the station. So they go there. And, you know, he makes this big speech about, oh, I do it every year. And she goes down. She goes down to get her brother. And when she gets down there, he's asleep. But suddenly she notices someone three cells down who was not there before sitting in there. And he's wearing a suit and like a fedora. And it's played by uh, Glenn from The Walking Dead. Okay. Uh, he says he's like a traveler or something, but won't explain like anything beyond that. And he's there to get a pardon and just all this kind of weird stuff. Like he knows way too much of what's going on, essentially. And he's got a smile on his face, and she brings the sheriff down, and he's like, uh, this guy convinces him that, you know, oh yeah, people all over know of this tradition where you pardon people, and it's like big, and I'm a big like YouTube guy or something who travels to different places, and yeah, like, you know, news about you doing this is like big, and it'd be an honor if I could like get pardoned by you and like record it for my YouTube show or some. You know, whatever BS. So they bring him up to the party, and everybody's having a good time, and uh, they sort of do this, you know, traditional pardoning, whatever. And then they just continue on with the party, and the guy's having a good time, but suddenly throughout the party, he starts randomly revealing secrets about everybody in that's in the station which causes them all to like turn on each other. And it's kind of fascinating to watch. It's, it was like a really good story and I really enjoyed it. Um, goes to some weird places, but, uh, and then the second one, I didn't realize they did nonfiction stuff on the twilight zone. Um, but yeah, this episode's all about how, uh, this 11 year old says he's going to run for president and he becomes president. And then he throws tantrums all the time and is a big crybaby and basically tells everybody if they're not supporting him, they're, they're being treasonous and uh, becomes one of the worst presidents in history. Seems like it's a betrayal of the concept of the Twilight Zone because <laughs> it's supposed to be sort of otherworldly stuff. Yeah. Well, this was not. <laughs> and... Sam, I wonder what real world analog they could have used. Yeah, they definitely don't. Uh, they definitely were pretty subtle about it. How this eleven-year-old creates policy by vlogging about it, and uh, you know, doing his stuff online rather than through proper channels. And how when this guy who runs campaigns gets behind this guy and spins it so that people are like, "Yeah, I agree with this." He's He's not talking like stuffy politicians. He's saying what we're all thinking. 
you know, free video, free video games for everybody. This almost feels like it's too on the nose to be enjoyable. It kind of was. I was laughing my ass off at it, but you know, sometimes that's fun too. Uh, but it was it was that Jake Tremblay kid. He was the kid that was running for president. And then uh, John Cho was like his campaign manager that helped him become president and realized, oh, shit, this is the worst idea ever. <laughs> An 11-year-old should not be president. Really? Who could have seen that coming? And then, and then you have like generals, like in full like military gear, you know, like the, the jackets with like all the medals and shit on it. And John Cho stops one of them is just like, uh, do you think maybe this was a bad idea? And the guy's like, are you being treasonous? Are you talking about the president? You're not being treasonous, are you? No, I wasn't being treasonous. I don't, what are you talking about? So, it's, uh, it was interesting. I was kind of laughing my ass off the entire time. And maybe because it came out in 2018, I can laugh about it now. Maybe it was a little bit more, uh, horrific. Back when it aired, yeah. But yeah, it's it's not subtle in whatsoever. But but Amanda was watching and she's like, "This is about as equally as preposterous as Donald Trump running for president." So, so yeah, yeah. Sounds like an episode Doug is not going to enjoy. But I yeah, honestly, the world got too horrific there and like political comedy stuff like that I have trouble processing now yeah understandable um so let's see I did watch two movies um oh so one of the movies I watched I watched that movie where the government has or like this military uh organization has this technology to like uh, to use this technology to time shift and then uh, stop crimes and stuff, you know, before or figure out like how to solve crimes and all that stuff. Do you know what movie that is? No, Minority I, Report. That's, no. that's what you're trying Tenet? to trick us into saying. <laughs> no, no, you would think it would be Tenet, but it's not. You watch Although, like the Asylum version of Tenet? Is that what we're no. about to hear about? <laughs> no. Although it does star a Washington, just like Tenet does. Uh, so I watched, uh, 2007's Deja Deja Vu Vu starring Denzel Washington. Oh yeah. Uh, his son, his son is in Tenet in case, uh, people didn't catch the connection. Um, Tony Scott movie, since uh, we were talking about Tony Scott last week, I was like, huh, let's check this out. It's it's one of those Tony Scott movies where I'm like, I didn't actively not see it because of Tony Scott, but I just saw the trailers and didn't have an interest. See, I'm a big sucker for time travel stuff, so I was uh, I was suckered in already. Um, so at the beginning of the movie, uh, like over the opening credits, there is like a uh, it takes place in New Orleans. Shows all these uh, Navy guys getting getting off, you know, on leave or whatever. <laughs> They're meeting up with their family, and like everybody's boarding this ferry. And I don't know if this is like an organized trip or it's just coincidence that like all these people ended up you know, taking the same ferry or what, what goes on, but the boat starts to leave and then the boat explodes and everybody on, on board pretty much dies. Uh, 
So then in comes Denzel Washington, who's works for the ATF, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Because that's a thing, I guess. Like, I don't know if he would be the one. That seems uh, weird. Given the circumstances, it seems weird yeah. that that's who they send in. Yeah, I don't know. If, since it's like an explosive, does that count as firearms? Like, I don't. I don't know, like, what his role would be realistically, but in this movie, he's the guy we're following who starts, like, looking into all this. And uh, soon the FBI shows up. Uh, FBI is led by at least the... Who he initially meets is... Uh, I don't even have this pulled up right. Uh, Val Kilmer. So Val Kilmer is sort of leading this FBI team. Uh, Vu. Um, and, you know, of course, him and Denzel don't get along right away. Um, but eventually they see that, like, he's a really good uh, investigator. He's really, he's really, like, invested in figuring out who did this and all this stuff. You know, usual stuff. Um, and this is uh, another weird thing pops up where they find this woman who, you know, they call him into the morgue or whatever and he's like oh this is another victim of the explosion she's like burned over like half her body or whatever and uh they're like yeah it looks that way but the weird thing is like some teens found her up up river like an hour before the ferry exploded so then he starts looking into her death and how they're weirdly connected and then of course eventually val kilmer is like well let's bring you in to look at this and they tell him they have this technology where they can essentially look uh, into the past up to four days and six hours, some non, some you know, weird number. But they can only watch it in real time. Like they can't like you know jump forward or they can't jump backward. Like, but they can look at anywhere at that specific time into the past. And so they start using this technology to figure out how to solve what happened and who did it and uncover a bunch of stuff. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I said, though, I'm a big sucker for time travel stuff, so it may not be for everybody. That's kind of sound interesting. Yeah. Um, and there's tons of other people like Adam Goldberg is in it um, from like Days and Confused and stuff. Uh, Jim Caviezel and apparently during the production they made up t-shirts that said uh, what was it uh, Malcolm X, Batman and Jesus like are going to solve this case or something <laughs> that's funny <laughs> um, so yeah it. I thoroughly enjoyed it other people may not enjoy it it does have kind of a kind of a uh I don't want to say a weird ending, but just the way they resolve everything, people may not enjoy, but I still enjoyed it. So, uh, and then the other thing I watched is a movie called The Banker from '88, '89. And some guy, some rich guy, is hiring prostitutes and then killing them and leaving their horribly mutilated bodies everywhere. So I was like, well, I got to check this out. And turns out there's a cop who's trying to stop him, played by Robert Forrester. And then the movie also has Jeff Conway 
Uh, Leif Garrett and Richard Roundtree in it. Okay. Which <laughs> is kind of a weird, you know, whatever. But so, of course, uh, Robert Forrester plays the, the type of cop that, like, he's got an ex-wife who that doesn't get along with. Turns out she's a news reporter. Constantly shows up to his crime scenes causing problems and they have to have arguments about it. You know how that goes. Um, so she gets super involved with this um, prostitute killing guy or whatever and starts reporting it on the evening news and that makes the killer take notice of her. So then Robert Forrester has to figure out who it is because he's afraid that the killer is going to come after her next. You know, that old chestnut. So um, it's exactly what you think it is. It was uh, just a fun, sort of sleazy, late 80s. Uh, hey, look, there's a bunch of naked women getting killed by this weird guy and the cop has to stop him type of movie. Um, which is exactly what I was in the mood for. So, it worked. Yeah, sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah, like we were talking about with Schizoid, like, I think this is way more like kind of what I was interested in. And when I was going to watch that movie, where it's very much a slasher movie, but, you know, it's just kind of got like that 80s uh, aesthetic to it with the cop who has to stop him. And there's some woman involved that he doesn't want to get hurt. And, of course, she gets involved and the killer and the cop have to have a showdown by the end of the movie. Yeah. So worth a watch. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. All right, well, next week, uh, we're going to try something a little weird. Now? Now we're yeah. going to try something weird? Yeah. Uh, so we are going to watch a William Castle movie from 1965 called I Saw What You Did. Okay. And then we're going to watch a 1980s made-for-TV remake of the same movie called I Saw What You Did, starring Shawnee Smith and uh, Candace Cameron. Fair enough. Uh, and uh, the the 65 version is on archive.org if you would like to watch along. And the 1988 version is on YouTube if you would also like to watch along. <laughs> so I saw the 80s version when it was on TV as a kid, okay. which is how I remember it. I don't remember how good it is, so we'll see. But then I've never seen the 65 version. So this is going to be interesting. I have no no idea how alike they are. So we may just be reviewing the same movie twice. But I do uh, I do think it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah, I, I put them on the list because I, I remember thinking they both looked interesting, but in slightly different ways. But I don't remember. That was a while ago that I put them on the list. I don't remember what was interesting about them to me. Did you put them on the list? I thought I put them yeah. on the list. Yeah. No. You always think you put all the interesting ideas on the list. I guess so. You're always taking credit for shit. Maybe. So, uh, does that mean it's WandaVision time? Is that where we're at? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, Only one episode this week. Yeah, which is kind of a bummer. It's real but, hard to wait a week think, episodes. I think starting starting tomorrow for us as we're recording, I think is when the episodes start getting maybe a little bit longer. So, yep, that'll help. 
Um, well, so I, I, God, I hope so. Lengths. What if it's like real short? What if yeah, it's like a four minute minutes. episode? <laughs> uh, so as last week, we're going to spoil the show. This last episode of WandaVision. So if you do not want to be spoiled, now's your time to shut it off. Um, so what do we think this week? The 1970s uh, Brady Bunch uh, episode of WandaVision. Well, they finally moved shit a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, which I figured when I heard the first three episodes were going to be 30 minutes and then they were going to vary after that, I'm like, oh, we'll get some sort of movement in the third or fourth episode then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Wanda's pregnant. Uh, they do a pretty good. Not for long, she isn't. <laughs> pretty good, pretty good montage at the beginning of uh, Vision putting together a playset in the old AstroTurf backyard. That stuff all looks so good. They do. They <laughs> nail the aesthetic of whatever show they're trying to. In this case, the Brady Bunch. Um, so it's pretty good. They got um, <coughs> the fuck is her name on here? Geraldine. Uh, we finally start seeing that something's not right with her. <laughs> Turns out she may be working for Sword, and uh, that doesn't sit too well with Wanda. No, Wanda gets pissed when she realizes that Geraldine knows stuff she's not supposed to know. She's not following the rules of the made-up universe. Mm-hmm. Again, that's the beauty of hiring an actress that can act instead of just like getting a pretty face to play your superhero is that like she's able to really pull off a performance there because it the look on her face when uh the other girl mentions quicksilver it's like oh yeah like or not not when she mentions quicksilver but when she drops the uh ultron bomb mm-hmm. you're like oh shit look at it look at how pissed she just got that somebody's breaking her world <laughs> and it's like she's she's realizing she's not going to be able to hold this fake universe together much longer is clearly what's happening. Um, we do get some uh, some shots when uh, Vision is out in the front yard, and they show Agnes and the neighbor guy like having a little hush hush conversation. Yeah. And then when he like pops up, they try to like, oh hey neighbor, and you realize like, oh geez, so they're sort of. There's definitely there's something going on that sort of everybody knows, but it's almost yeah. like uh, the kid from uh, the Twilight Zone. Yeah. The, from the Bill Mummy episode. It's like you don't want to piss anybody off because you might get sent to the cornfield type of situation. Yeah, that's, that's a good analogy. I also like I liked the uh, the continuing of the, the universe kind of falling apart with him just messing up and cutting into that wall. Like... <laughs> What a good way to show it. Like it's yeah, neighbor tr- trimming the hedges, and all of a sudden he's halfway through a brick wall without even sort of yeah. flinching. Our, our video game glitch moment of the episode. <laughs> it's the visual really worked. I thought that you know what I thought really worked in this episode is just all the comedy surrounding the stupid birth and the stork coming to like and <laughs> Connor, like I was laughing out loud watching it and I'm like it's ridiculous but it just it makes me almost want to rewatch Brady Bunch episodes and see if they're actually this funny because I'm not sure if they are. Well, uh, it's funny because there's a there's a shot of Vision messing with like a doll. And it literally is the same doll that Cindy had in the Brady Bunch TV show. That's funny. Noah, thoughts? Mmm. Oh, I, right. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, Geraldine 
because of the casting list, we already know who that character is. Yeah. So that's that's yeah. not very exciting, but yeah, it's weird that they like announced who she was going to play before the show started. It seems like that's something you would have wanted to keep under wraps, but right. Although keeping secrets on these types of things is pretty fucking hard. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I was into it. I was into all the uh, like vision learning to parent in a matter of hours by reading like every fucking parenting book that exists. <laughs> yeah. The uh, setting up of the baby's room and stuff and someone mentions butterflies and of course the butterfly mobile like, comes to life. And... I like the analogy of like the pregnancy is causing her to like not be able to control her powers and so she just keeps accidentally doing magic shit. I like that. <laughs> yeah, they. Uh, I did like it because Amanda doesn't know all the backstories and stuff. So, so th- she gives birth this episode, and uh, you know she gives birth to the baby, and they're sitting there like, "Oh, look, the baby's beautiful," or whatever. And I'm just sitting there waiting. I'm like, "Well, that can't be it. I know there's <laughs> one more. or one more coming." And then she she goes into their thing again and, uh, and Amanda looked at me and she's like twins and I'm like yep it's gonna be twins yeah Wiccan and what what the hell is the other kid's name uh I don't remember it was a familiar name like as far as their superhero names but I don't remember uh what it was uh yeah not as much uh not as much like um like Agnes didn't get to do a whole lot this episode, which I was kind of bummed about. So I was hoping we get to learn maybe a little bit more about her role is, but I guess she gets to help set set forward that maybe everybody's not a willing participant in this weird reality. Yeah, I think I'm interesting to see like if all of some of those background characters are they creations of Wanda's mind or are they like people that are like enslaved in her <laughs> fake universe? I'm curious to see where that ends up. Well, I'm thinking in one of the videos I uh, watched, the Easter egg videos, kind of pondered this too, that that it could be that she, there was like a, the town is real, but that she sort of like took it over and it's created this reality inside of this town. So it's almost like everybody's trapped in there having to play like their part oh, of whatever, rea- whatever reality that Wanda's set up and they're not allowed to leave type of situation. Uh, I was going to say, with with the exception of the neighbors, who seem to be pseudo-willing participants, maybe? Mm, It's possible. Um, I wonder if those neighbors, though, were they whispering because they know something Vision doesn't know, or were were they just able to pick up on the fact that that what's-her-name character wasn't... uh, wasn't following the rules that they just noticed that she kind of stood out mm-hmm. yeah. again it's a lot of this is intentionally vague and we're just gonna sit and wait and see what they tell us next week yeah yeah because we find out what happens when you piss off when you piss off wanda she just shoots you right out of the reality as quickly as possible which is pretty fun yeah yeah i loved it she went through the border of the town and then falls and then as camera pans down like the the screen starts to widen and the colors you know yep. 
desaturate a little bit and everything just kind of goes to to real life rather than TV life. It's interesting how they're portraying the real world versus the fake world and they, the visuals are done really well. Yeah. I, I, I always appreciate stuff like that because they don't need to put that effort into it for a normal audience. That's just there for us who are mm-hmm. going to like see it and then talk about it with our friends for hours for <laughs> useless reasons. I was going to say, I did like the uh, the moment of Wanda turning on Geraldine mm-hmm. just because that tonal ship, it, it was very like Stepford Wives kind of thing. Yeah. Where it was like, oh, you done fucked up. She's a monster. <laughs> yeah, this is this is not going to be good. And she backpedals like, no, 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 it's all right. Everything's fine. <laughs> like, I didn't mention the evil robot that killed your brother. <laughs> I meant the other Ultron. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we get to see this entire sword base sort of like set up around... Yeah. this whole thing so they're monitoring what's going on trying to figure out what's happened and um I don't know which I'm assuming by the end of this Nick Fury's gonna show up I would think so yeah a little cameo at least um I was reading speculation they may use this as like a reverse uh House of M situation where it's Wanda that creates all the mutants to bring in the X-Men that's been one of the suggestions. Yeah. Let's see. I mean, they got a lot of options. I mean, they're setting up Kang the Conqueror, so there's a million different weird time-shifty things they could do. Mm. Yeah, it's still going to be a tough sell, though. Like we've mentioned before, that in a world where people love Spider-Man and Captain America, how do you have a group of superheroes that everybody hates just because they're they have superpowers it's gonna be different they're gonna have to take a completely different approach i think yeah it's just gonna possibly be very frustrating i mean i'll I'll say it for the thousandth time the x-men do not play well with other comic books and i i know they're they're doing all this to push their stupid fucking avengers versus x-men plot fucking eight years from now and i just give no fucks about that yeah well i don't know we haven't uh we haven't been let down too bad so far so yeah right now i just have faith in them to pull it off and then that's that's all it is and it's they definitely haven't pulled a DC where they've done stuff so horrendous that you're just like, well, fuck it, I'm done. No, it, there hasn't right. been really a misstep in the MCU yet. Like when people complain about like Iron Man three, Iron Man three hasn't happened yet. You're just Iron Man, Iron Man three hasn't happened yet. Hmm? What did you say, Iron Man three or Spider Man three? Iron Man three. Okay, yeah, no, Iron Man three isn't a great movie, but it's not a colossal failure. The way right. Batman versus Superman was. I don't even like to bring mm-hmm. that up because it's going to get. I won't be able to sleep now. Fuck. But like it's like it. They haven't had that right. They haven't had that moment. They haven't screwed up their universe. But you know, maybe there's some characters that are underused or something like that. You can find criticism, sure. But they mm-hmm. they haven't really completely ruined anything. So I just have faith that going forward. But they'll figure it out. 
Mm-hmm. I, I was going to speaking of Marvel, I did finally get to the uh, the chopping mall episode of Agents of oh, Shield. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> is that was, glorious? That was fucking delightful. <laughs> they fucked me. They fucked me up. The eighties episodes too much. It's like oh, well, this is kind of a mistake. Like no, it's it's on purpose. Like it's on purpose a chopping mall episode. I mean the part the part where that robot just slowly pulls that girl off like around the corner and then it just like sprays the whole black wall with blood. <laughs> I gotta watch that. <laughs> it's it's uh oh, Jesus Christ, it's a whole bunch of stuff. Stupid uh band Solving Crimes episode, Max Headroom episode, and Shopping Mall episode all rolled into one. Yep. Fine, I'll watch it. <laughs> you twisted my arm enough. Uh, you're going to have to watch like six seasons up to that point, though. Yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, um, space will do a parody of it if they ever bring a revival of space, then I'll watch that. Uh, do we want to talk about Godzilla vs. Kong trailer? Oh, yeah, it looks, we can. It looks, it looks good. It looks like it's just going to be like giant monsters punching each other, which I'm in favor of. <laughs> Fucking Kong makes like an axe out of a giant tree and a rock. What's wrong with that? I didn't say there was anything I'm, wrong with it. I'm going to need, they're going to need to give us some explanations on uh, exactly what's up with some of it because Kong is uh, really fucking big well they mentioned in the Kong Skull Island yeah he was right, that, right that he was still growing he was still yeah. a baby yeah but but he's yeah. real big know. yeah that's how big he is now I'm just wondering what the because they make it they make the uh the story note that whoever's on the ship is like, but the world needs Kong, which is why they've of course put him in chains and shipping him across the across the uh, the ocean on a giant ship. I'm sure, that makes perfect sense. Hey, hey, let's do that thing that never worked, <laughs> right? Like, are they literally just like, well, Godzilla's destroying stuff, so we have to go get the giant monkey? Like, does that? <laughs> Is there a story point where that makes any remote sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you just nailed the main plot of the movie, actually. <laughs> like, what if... <laughs> the big lizard's killing everything. What are we going to do about it? I don't know. Get a giant monkey? All right. See if that works. <laughs> well, we did see him eat that giant squid in the last movie. Maybe he could eat this lizard. <laughs> you did see... You did see some mutos in the trailer. Yeah, oh, did we? I didn't even notice too busy looking at the uh, lizard on monkey action. I mean, it was it's a little confusing that they're like something's riling up Godzilla and it's like well, in the Godzilla movie you guys already established the fact that any anything putting off a ton of radiation pisses him off including the other giant monsters that are all radioactive. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was the entire plot of the last movie. <laughs> Maybe Maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's the thing that's happening. I don't know. Yeah. We'll wait and see. It's not like it's not clear what the details of the plot are. It doesn't really matter, right? 
Do you think they'll do two edits of the movie where in the American version, Kong wins and in the Japanese version, Godzilla wins? <laughs> I hope so. As long as you, you can like get like a DVD set with the two of them in it. So I'm already sort of calling something that they're doing. The tagline for the movie is one will fall. Yeah. And I feel like, well, if you're going, if you're going to be true with that tagline, then it's got to be like Godzilla winning, right? I mean, he's got his own franchise. You're not going to kill him off randomly. I think I think Kong wins. Think so? You think, think Godzilla's going to die? I think Noah just nailed it. Well, no, I don't think they'll kill Godzilla. I think, but he'll lose. All right. They won't. They won't kill either of them. They'll or, they'll fight, and then something else will be a threat, and they're going to team up and fight that thing. Or is it gonna, they're going to twist it, and one of the humans is going to die, and they'll be like, "Well, that's what we meant the whole time." <laughs> just was that one will fall. One of them just falls over and lands on a dude. They're like, "That's the guy. That's the one that fell. That's squish mark right there." <laughs> but then, like, people are going to be like, "But I don't care about any of the humans. That's not the point of this movie." I don't care if a human died. Lots of humans probably died. That or it'll be a thing like the Godzilla that's attacking everything isn't Godzilla. It's a different Zilla. I've been hearing that too. There's talk, yeah. The baby, maybe Godzilla looks so big because this Godzilla, or this Kong looks so big, big because this Godzilla is actually smaller than the last one. Yeah, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of arguments that. Something about in the trailer, it looks like Mecha Godzilla at some point. Yeah. Oh, do you think this is the? Uh, we'll find out. The Mecha Godzilla is actually powered by like Doctor Evil. So this is this is an awesome powers crossover as well. I made a giant Godzilla, you a holes. <laughs> uh three-way crossover everybody's been hoping for. I have actually heard that uh, uh, Del Toro's had discussions about if he ever comes back to do another uh, Pacific Rim movie, that he would want to somehow connect it to the so-called monsterverse that they've set up with Godzilla. Yeah, I've heard that, but I don't think it's ever happening. I don't either, but, you know, sometimes... Warner Brothers gets weird and just throws lots of money at something. Yeah, we'll see. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. So, as, as, as long as we get uh, Godzilla's weird, creepy son. That's all that matters. <laughs> Godzuki? Godzuki. Uh, man, I hope so. And Godzuki. That's gonna be the uh, the post credit scene in this. An egg hatches and Gazuki pops out with the top of the egg on his head like a hat. This is so good. I'm trying to remember which. Uh, it's like Godzilla and something island. There's also the weird baby Godzilla, but it's not named Gazuki. It's named something else, and it's weird looking. <laughs> it looks like a little ET monster. <laughs> Now here he is calling E.T. Weird looking for Sibushimi and now this. God damn it, Noah. <laughs> you got a thing for people with bulgy eyes, apparently. <laughs> Listen, uh, E.T. looks like uh, misshapen uh, dick and balls is what he looks like. 
good. <laughs> I don't. See, you were gonna you were gonna deny it. Now you're. Saying that. I don't. I'm trying not to picture ET right now. That's what's happening. I don't want to know. Have you ever seen uh, Stone Cold ET? Oh. So it's a guy <laughs> going through a drive-through uh, with like a Steve Austin vest on and an ET mask and okay. talking just like Steve Austin, like doing like Steve Austin promos on the on the drive-through people. But it looks like it's ET doing it, so it's really fucked up and weird. People have too much time on their hands. <laughs> it's coming from a guy who hosts this podcast. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.